Hey, Blenders, on this week's show, Paul Thomas Anderson has a new trailer, Venom 2 hits theaters, and Andy Serkis is our guest. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, Blenders, and welcome, welcome to episode number 184 of Real Blend, a podcast that keeps confusing a kite dancing in a hurricane and a turd in the wind. My name is Sean O'Connell, the managing editor here at Cinema Blend. And on this week's show, we have a new Paul Thomas Anderson trailer to speak about. Uh, Licorice Pizza Venom 2 is going to be hitting theaters. And guys, I'm really excited to announce that our special guest this week is the director, Andy Serkis, uh, thereby adding to the collection of Lord of the Rings cast members that we are interviewing here on the Real Blend podcast. And yes, we do talk to him about uh, a little bit about his work on the Peter Jackson trilogy. And by we, I mean Kevin McCarthy of Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. Hi, Kev. Hey, good to see you guys. Gabriel, Jacob, Jonathan, good to see y'all. And uh, and as Sean mentioned, I do want to mention, uh, go back and find our Elijah Wood interview and our Sean Astin interview. Because uh, yes. uh, we are we are co- collectively interviewing, as you said, everybody from Lord of the Rings. And each one of them shares really great stories. Um, and having Andy Circus on the show, uh, this I'm such I'm so excited about this that we got him this week. So this is, it's a good one for anybody out there listening. So who would be our pick if we could pick our next Lord of the Rings cast member? I exactly would say Ian McKellen. Jackson. Oh, I. Oh, okay. Well, both of those are great. I was going with Vigo, but both of those I, are terrific. I, I think I would go. I would go Ian McKellen over Jackson. Oh, what? see, I would. I, I, would I just feel like the sound of his voice. On our podcast, the sound of his voice through in people's headphones. Yeah, it's like it's like molasses being poured into your ears. Just it's like, true. That doesn't sound I, pleasant, Jake. You yeah, don't but, sound pleasant. Okay, all right. Let me ask this: hour and a half with Peter Jackson or twenty minutes with Ian McKellen? No, hour and a half with Jackson. Like that's yeah. easy. Yeah. yeah, and we could potentially he has that Beatles documentary coming soon yeah. too. I wouldn't mind yeah, talking about the Beatles. What, what is with there Peter to Jackson, talk about though? with the Beatles? I know. <laughs> what did they ever do? <laughs> what have they ever done? Uh, and the other guy on the show is uh, Besbin to Liverpool, the home. Yeah. Of the Beatles. Oh my god, that was so fun. Uh, yes, uh, yeah, it was. actually, yeah, I saw, I saw it all, man. I saw. Uh, What's Penny the name Lane? of that club that they started out in? Oh shit! I don't. I God, I was so into uh, it. It was, for it like... was called the Beetle with two E's. That's the name of them. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I saw Strawberry Fields. I saw Penny Lane. I saw all. It's it's seriously but not was the name like, of the club. What's the name of the club? Didn't I the guy can't from remember, yesterday? But I was there. The guy from yesterday played a set there, didn't he? No, the guy from yesterday played a set at the recreation of the club inside a Beatles museum in Liverpool. Oh, that's weird. Um, and then uh, but then we ended up all individually, collectively going to that club later which is really where you you go it's i know we're going on a tangent it's an amazing club if you ever find yourself in liverpool as one does uh go to this club it's where so many of the most iconic bands you know the beatles and the who and all that played like some of their first sets ever um the craziest thing was going to a graveyard in front of a church where john and paul uh were like they, they attended that church when they were younger and um there are on there's a gravestone 
with the name of um, what's what's that? Eleanor what's Rigby. That? Yeah, Eleanor Rigby. It yeah, was yeah. the gravestone with Eleanor Rigby. That's kind of cool. Yeah, that is yeah. cool. That is. By the way, uh, only because we're talking about the Beatles. Can we just definitively all agree that the greatest Beatles song of all time is Blackbird? Blackbird. No, then, I know you both like that song a lot, and it's an amazing song, it's but I'm a not going to... I can't say it's their best song of all time. See, what's weird is I'm a White Album Beatles fan, and yeah. there's Sgt. Pepper's uh, fans, but like, While My Guitar Gently Weeps and Blackbird are my two ultimate... And, and so, correct me if I'm wrong, Blackbird is just McCartney, and While My Guitar Gently Weeps is just Harrison, Right. I think that I think they all wrote individual stuff. For yeah, the album. they were yeah. at that point. They were writing different things. Yes, I have uh, a video on my phone. Uh, you get friend of the show, Chase Cusack, and I uh, saw Paul McCartney live at Lollapalooza a couple of years ago. I have a video uh, on my phone of uh, Paul McCartney playing uh, Blackbird acoustically. I have it on my phone. It's one of the, it's, I, I kept it just because I loved that version of it. I ran into Paul McCartney in a hotel as he was on his way to the gym. It was the Three Stooges junket, and he was like trying to find the gym. <laughs> I, I'm not, I'm Weirdly not enough, he was curly. <laughs> it was so weird. There's like, literally, yeah, our there's, lives are insane. Yeah, there is yeah, no sorry. other podcast uh, that you will ever hear <laughs> telling a story about meeting Sir Paul McCartney at the Three Stooges junket. Only here on Real Blend. Uh, the other guy's Jake Hamilton for Fox oh, hey. in Chicago. Yes. So if you're listening to us um, on your normal <laughs> podcast feeds, hello, thank you. Give us a subscription. If you want to see what's going on over here and how Kevin has outclassed the two of us uh, with his outfit today, head over to the YouTube channel where we have a YouTube uh, page. He's gonna be in. And it's uh, youtube.com backslash Real Blend Podcast. Give us a, a like and a subscription over there as well, too. You also can find details about the Real Blend Premium, which we do on Mondays. And on Monday, we get to do some fun games. Uh, we'll reveal the game that we're going to be playing on the upcoming uh, Real Blend Premium at the end of this episode. So if you want to get an ad-free version of the show, a new podcast every Monday, and a newsletter from me every other week, go to cinemablend.com backslash Real Blend Premium. Now, you don't have to be a premium member to play along with the weekly poll. That's something we post on... Gabe, are we doing Mondays now? Are we just going to do Mondays? Mondays. All right, so the poll was uh, one of our traditional polls, which is at the beginning of each month. Which um, re release are you most excited for for this month? And so for October, uh, Jake, I'll throw this to you. The choices were Last Night in Soho, No Time to Die, Dune, and Other. So first, tell me what you think the people said. I, I and think... then after, tell me what you think you said. Once we were reminded that Dune has not come out, I think people chose Dune. 52% of the people chose Dune. Yes, that's correct. Um, what, what would you have chosen? Any of those I mean, three or maybe something Yeah, different? I mean, if we had removed me having seen, because at this point I've now seen No Time to Die and Dune. Dune. I saw Dune. Did you? Kev, yeah. have you seen Dune? Uh, oh, oh, no, I haven't seen Dune yet. No, I'm just kidding. No, yeah, of course I've seen Dune. Yeah, we you saw know, Dune. You know what, like, you know what, I really want to know what Gabe thinks it, of Dune. Yeah. Gabe, I Gabe, will say... Oh, look at that. I, I stopped recording. This. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> I will say this. It is very weird how early we saw Dune. It it's yes. too weird. Where, it's annoyingly like, weird. <laughs> no, no, but I mean it like this. And Jake, I don't, I'm Sean, I don't know if you feel the same way. It feels like the movie already came out. Yeah, mm -hmm. definitely. Like, yeah. like, and, and, and it's the strangest things. We, we did yeah. press for it. My, my interviews are on YouTube. They've been up there for like three weeks or whatever. And like, it's like. I've moved on and Dune hasn't even come out yet. It's like, yeah, it's we the did, weirdest um, thing. It did. It has internationally. And we did get a lot of comments from 
um, some of our international audience that were like, I've already seen Dune, so I picked this Oh, interesting. Yeah, Yeah, uh, because we are, like you said, you're focusing instead on the movies that are still to come that we haven't seen. Things like No Time to Die for Me or Venom for a lot of other people. Uh, Ghostbusters, I think Soho is a bit of a sleeper. Things like that. Yeah, Soho is going to be, yeah. 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 But it's yeah. hard to like, look, like, I, granted, I am incredibly excited about Soho. I'm excited for anything Edgar Wright does. But you can't ask me to say that, you know, if you were to take my having seen yeah. what I've seen out of it, you can't ask me to say, oh, are you more excited for Soho than you are Dune or Bond? Like, yeah. yeah. No. What's interesting is, um, so having seen Bond and Dune, I'm thinking about this question prior to seeing either and I think I've I think I would have definitely gone with Dune just because of Denis Villeneuve, yeah. o- only because his track record is so perfect. And like I love Fukunaga, and I, I'm very I, and you know that's we'll get into that when we get no not no time to die. But I think Dune would have been my pick if I if I was doing this poll without seeing anything or duning this poll. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, I was actually I was no, trying, I'm not sorry. I, I was trying to think of a I was trying to think of a good one in my head, <laughs> and I was trying to see if you could tell me. Josh Brolin's favorite Limp Biscuit song. Oh, <laughs> wait, wait a second. Yeah, uh, I'm. Th- I do it all I'm, for the Nookie. I do no. it all. Yeah, uh, no, Nookie is not, not. That's not bad. That, that's pretty good. Uh, that's not bad. It, this might not even be the name of their song, so this might be totally fucked up. Something Sean made up. <laughs> oh my so, god, this is. I love Limp Biscuit, so I'm right. I, I mean, I. Three Dollar Bill, y'all, is a great album. Um, do they have a song called Rollin', Rollin', Rollin'? They do. It's called Rollin'. Yeah, then Brolin. I was going to say yeah, Josh, yeah, yeah. Rollin', Rollin', Rollin'. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's, <laughs> yeah, that was like one of, that was on, um, they had an album called Chocolate Starfish and the Hot Dog Flavored Water. It was the greatest, <laughs> yes. that, that was the greatest album title I've ever heard And it's life. a really good one. And then Fred uh, Durst directed John Travolta years later in a movie called The Fanatic. I did not hate that movie. Super yeah. weird. Yeah, okay, weird okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, man, we we guessed, is, what a weird episode. So far. Let's stop with our nonsense oh, for God's sakes and get great. to our guest. Uh, Andy Serkis is uh, obviously well known for his amazing uh, performance work in the Lord of the Rings films and also the uh, Planet of the Apes movies that he did with uh, playing Caesar, obviously bringing that character to life. He brings uh, Woody Harrelson over from the, the final War for the Planet of the Apes uh, and has Woody playing... Please Cassidy, a.k.a. Carnage, in the Venom sequel, Venom. Let there be Carnage. And so for that reason, Andy Serkis is joining us on the Roblin podcast to discuss Venom and his career. Venom. And uh, Venom. all the cool things uh, about you Andy Serkis. You know what? Hit him. So let's <laughs> throw it to uh, Andy Serkis. Venom. Here we go. Venom. Take it away. Andy, we can't thank you enough for taking the time. We know that you are doing so much press. No worries. Uh, no, this is a pleasure. But we were so excited to get you on our show. We're huge fans. Um love the movie think it's a ton of fun and we are a filmmakers podcast so we encourage you to get as geeky about the process okay as you possibly can but i want to i actually just want to start with a bigger picture question which is um when you take over a sequel uh to a movie that you didn't direct how do you find the right balance between what fans liked about the initial movie but still bringing the new flavors that you want to bring to the world well, I mean, it's a good question, you know, but the, the fact of the matter is I felt like I, I really enjoyed so much about the first movie. And plus, you know, Tom, Tom and I, Tom Hardy and I have wanted to work together for, for so many years. And, and, you know, I really admired his performance in it. And, and I, was, I was just kind of, I was super excited to be able to take on the project 
really with Ruben, Ruben's great work that he did done on the first movie and setting it all up and telling the origin story. I, I, I really loved the, the, the very, very point at which I was able to take it on, which was to have that relationship between Eddie and Venom set up in such a beautiful way to really expand that. And then, um, but then also to, 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 to have the opportunity to kind of to, to bring this incredible supervillain carnage to life. So, so I felt that, I felt I, you know, I was gonna, in a way, standing on the shoulders of, of giants in a in a sense because because I really did love the first movie. But what, but I had very specific objectives about how I wanted to treat the the the, the sequel. Um, so I, I didn't find it a worry. I, I you know, as I say, I wanted to work with Tom. Tom and I were very close in in terms of how what we thought about the way it should be. Um, he and Kelly, uh, uh, Kelly Marcel, obviously they, they, they wrote the story together and then Kelly wrote the script. And when, when Tom approached me and it was, it was Tom who called me and said, look, Andy, you know, how would you think about putting your, for chucking your hat in the ring for, 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 for directing the second movie? Um, I was like, yeah, I, I mean, this is perfect. This is, this is exactly, you know, we, we, we have a very similar sensibility and a sense of, uh, you know, in terms of choices with characters that we like playing, swimming in the darker end of the swimming pool um, <laughs> and vis visually and kind of, yeah, visually, emotionally, um, all, all of those things seem to gel. And then when I read Kelly's and Tom's script, it just, it just, it, it just seemed to be perfect. There was this, phenomenal blend of you know real real world uh dysfunctional characters that were that were, were layered and and deep and and uh, you know and, and yet you had this is seen through the lens of these symbiote characters which which equally had to be able to act really well in this movie because you see them so much more and in the first movie you only get a, a sense of venom really but but now we kind of land in the middle of this relationship two years into it. And, uh, and so the whole kind of odd couple, you know, version of their, of where they're at in their relationship. And, and it, it, it all just felt really beautiful material to kind of mine and hone and get inside. And, and um, yeah, with a, with a, an in, incredible cast. That's awesome. You know, Andy, uh, Robert Richardson is one of the greatest cinematographers of all time. I mean, like genuinely, uh -huh. like I think he's just an absolute genius. His camera work is a leading character in his stories. Obviously, the work he did with Quentin Tarantino on Hollywood was brilliant. Um, I wanted to ask you about your working relationship with Richardson, but also the idea that the first Venom was shot 235. You yep. shot yours 185. They are yep. in the same world. So in your mind as a filmmaker, what does the 185 do to your story in terms of the 235 that Ruben had and kind of what does Robert Richardson's relationship with you in terms of like the way you set shots up and light shots? And I'm just interested in that relationship and also that aspect ratio change. Sure, sure, sure. So, of course, Bob and I go back because he he was the DOP on my first movie, Breathe. and. Yeah. Which so so and we became incredibly close on that, and I do feel like you know we again we we the one person the first person I went to when I knew that I was going to be directing this was Bob because because I knew that he would be able to bring a level of reality gravitas beautiful cinematography obviously goes without saying but most importantly that he would be able to integrate these quite unforgiving CG characters. Um, into into a world that would make you believe believe they all existed as one, and that was that was what we talked about from day one. And when I when we we met for lunch, when I first talked to him about it, and and I said, look, 
the, the, there are so many scenes where where these you know you see the the scale of these symbiotes and and that was where the 185 discussion came you know I, much as I love anamorphic lenses and shooting very wide <clears throat> for this story it felt like we needed height we needed to be able to to get and also we needed to get right in on 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 uh, into all of the characters heads you know, mm. and, and, and you say, so, so, so the kind of, it's like a kind of concertina, you go into Hardy's head or, you know, to Eddie Brock's head and then you come back and then you see, and then you've, you've got a good ratio to have Venom and he sharing the same frame, having a duologue. Um, you know, you, you need to, cause carnage is even bigger than, than, than Venom. And I just wanted, I just wanted the scale of, and their heights to not feel, feel like that we were ever chasing that, that we could, that we could really kind of land them big, big time and, and fill those frames, um, you know, at, at that, at that ratio. I mean, again, when I shot my first movie with Bob, we shot it at, at, at um, you know, very, you know, we, we shot it at uh, two, four, seven, you know, so it was really, it was really kind of like that, you know, very, 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 um, <laughs> as about as narrow as you can get. And I love that ratio and it suited that story, which is about a man who is, who for the most part of the story is lying down, you know, and it, and yeah. it's sort of, it, it really, you know, so all of those discussions we had, we, we had, we had, you know, references, but the other thing that I wanted to do with Bob was we, we talked about saturation. I was very keen in the first movie. It's very, um, it's very, uh, you know, it's monotone. It's quite gritty, dark, and quite, quite devoid of color in, in, in a sense. And, uh, and, and this because, purely because of Carnage and that very specific red that was gonna go through the movie, like kind of a mm. shot that goes right through the movie. Um, I, I really wanted to to elevate the rest of the the, the the saturation levels so that so that it felt believable, but at the same time you could really kind of you know sink yourself into 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 that character and it not feel like it was popping out of the screen too much and so that, that those are the sort of the discussions that we were having and bob is just the most amazingly collaborative um dop who really wants to serve the director's vision and you know as we all know he's made hundreds of movies and great brilliant movies and and yet he's still he's still all about he's a great storyteller he, he really is, he, the way that he dances with the camera around performance, you know, we talk through everything in great detail. We storyboard, storyboarded a lot of stuff together. Um, we, we worked intensively together to, to, to create the look and feel and, and style of this. Um, but, but most importantly, when it came down to it, that working with, with also with Sheena Dougal, who was our visual effects supervisor, that we could, the three of us then talked about how can we shoot shallow focus so that we're not making the symbiotes feel Oh, wow. Like they're, gonna, they're perfect CG characters, all in focus all the time, which is sometimes oh. what you see in movies, and therefore you you're not trusting the, the the you know you're not trusting that fall off that lovely kind of shallow shallow depth of field to make these things feel more believable and real as if you were shooting a real human you know you're shooting a human being mm. uh, which which you get all of that of course so so that so those, those were those are the main kind of things that we we, we discussed. Cool. Oh, there are so many shots in that final act that honestly you could I, the, the expression I always use is you could take them out and frame them and hang them above your fireplace and they would be absolutely gorgeous. <laughs> particularly the scenes in the church they're beautiful um you've oh. been a part of of movies that are firmly within the MCU with Black Panther and then you've been a part of films that are as they say in the credits in association with Marvel I'm curious from your perspective how are the two experiences different how does the proximity to Marvel change things um 
you know, the thing is, with, as, as everyone knows, you know, they, they have such a great sense, the Marvel team. They are really, they are an amazing family. It's an amazing family to be part of, for first off. You know, you do feel that, you are, that you're joining this super extended family that really have so much care and devotion to the subject material, the source material, the, the, you know. The, it, so you do feel, you do feel that, that kind of all-encompassing, that you're wrapped in, your, in that world. Um, having said that, um, you know, obviously Black Panther more so because it was, you know, it was, it was such a central kind of Marvel experience. Whereas this did feel, Venom's always felt, I suppose it's the relationship with Sony, you know, slightly more marginal as a character. And he is a slightly marginalized, you know, character in, 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 in the universe. So, so, so I liked that. I liked the fact that we sort of had the, the joy of, of, of being underneath the auspices and the, and the umbrella of the big family, but that we were almost kind of just this little offshoot, this strange little offshoot that, that <laughs> was able to kind of create what we wanted to do and have the, have the freedom to do that within, within that, that big universe. Um, Andy, this is um, one of the films that is obviously like so many films faced delays, you know, just being pushed back and pushed back. And quite often filmmakers are racing to to meet a uh, release date that they've been handed, you know, and, and you know, they they're sprinting to get everything finished with this delayed uh, post-production. Did, did the film benefit in any way? Were, were you are you the type of person that kept going back in to tinker? Or did you lock it and say it's done? Whenever they want to release it, they release it. It's still, it's still. I'll be truthful. You know, we finished the last visual effects shot last week. Oh my I mean, it, it's just <laughs> wow. we, we've just kept refining, kept refining, <laughs> and actually, in all honesty, the the original release date was nigh on impossible. It would have been a much poorer movie if, visually uh, wow. because because it was just it was it was there was so much to do there was certainly you know the ambition for it was huge and the time was not really long enough to, to really execute it so so in a way you know for all covid was difficult and as being a nightmare for everyone um certainly the silver lining for this movie was that we had more time to work on it that's just that's just the fact i mean look you've got to factor in that um of course, everyone was working by Zoom. The sure. whole uh, we, we we finished shooting three weeks before COVID hit. Um, so I had three weeks with my editor, Stan Selfress, and then and then he, you know, who I've worked with, you know, he'd worked on the Apes movies with Matt Reeves, and you know, we had a very very good close relationship. He had to go back to the states, so everything, you know, the my director's cut was was entirely remote. Um, so we, so that was, you know, you, that was wow. challenging. That was yeah. hugely challenging. But you know, you get, you find ways, as everyone has had to do uh, and adapt. Then, of course, all the visual effects work. You know, the visual effects team was sprawling across the planet, and and the animators and the, you know, the, the artists, the, the CG artists, and the, and the visual effects supervisor, producers, all that, you know, all in different places in the in the world. Um, we just had to be disciplined about how we how we reviewed the shots, and so we, you know, we, we, but there is nothing like being in the room with people. Obviously, it's the best way of doing things. However. We just got our heads down and 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 just kept having these review meetings and 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 actually, as I say, we were we were all we were lucky in that we did have more time to evolve them because they they were com they're complicated shots and complex and um and, and as I said about Venom and Carnage, you know they are not the easiest characters to actually make believable because. 
everything else it was 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 hyper real in the, well, it's, you know hyper real in terms of performance and emotional content right. and the, and the, you know the, the stakes of, of all of that so that they had to drop in and and uh, that that was that was going to be the biggest challenge how to make them look believable and and so we spent a long time you know working on uh, sort of facially how how we could uh make them give them you know they had as i say they had to act so we had to create in this and these iterations slightly more um malleable features and lip roundings around the teeth you know they're unforgiving in in their big jaw you know the big kind of (laughs) you know smiley jaws and uh, and non-eyes you know so we had to really kind of decide how we were going to anthropomorphize them without going too far so that they look silly but at the same time you could read certain emotions in them or read you know read states of mind or thoughts and can you tell us the last shot can you tell us the last shot you worked on the last shot that we were working on was um yeah the last shot we were working on was the, after the escape um, uh, from uh, of Carnage when he breaks out of San Quentin prison and then he transforms back into Cletus as he walks or, as oh, he sure. walks away. Mm. Yeah, that yeah. we kept refining, 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 scale changing. You know, uh, it was just we that that, that I mean that, that that took a long time. That just took it was a big it was a big shot. That's so awesome. yeah, right. Thank you. Love love hearing that process. Um, Andy, I, I'm interested in talking to you about your running time. Um, and and forget, correct me if I'm wrong. But before credits, it's about an hour twenty five, hour twenty six. It's it, it's a very lean film and i wanted to ask you about the running time in particular was that always your vision to have it under 90 minutes i mean there's something about a solid lean 90 minute movie that just moves and i just wanted to ask you about the running time and was that was that always the way it was meant to be it it was i mean that was the intention we all talked about it from the off that it was going to have real propulsion that it was going to be you know you I mean, I think I think it's lean. I think it is muscular, you know, and I yes. think I, I, I do think it kind of we want to invest in the characters and spend time with characters and and not ever overexpose or kind of exposition expositionally kind of you know go oh we don't need to do that we can do it in succinct and interesting ways like telling Cletus's backstory through animation you know through through hand drawn scratched anima- and you know drawings that he would actually I love bones. that sequence yeah. that sequence is fantastic you know uh, so 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 you can have that you can have that kind of depth of of character analysis and 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 you still uh, you know without without ladling it on so much that it drags the story down because the look in all honesty, we have to get to Carnage breaking out of, of, of and, and into the story, um, you know, at a very, you know, sort of not too far into the movie because that then becomes the propulsion for the second and third acts. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so it was, you know, we always wanted it to be a, a real roller coaster uh, or, you know, just a thrill ride, but then all the time underpinned with, with real emotional, you know, characters uh, beats. So that, that was, yeah, it was. It was always intended to be a, a fast-moving piece. And it was, for sure. Andy, um, you obviously have been a part of so many different projects that really have advanced special effects and technology when you look at Lord of the Rings and King Kong and, and apes in this film. But I'm sort of curious, from your perspective, what is something that we still can't do with technology we haven't been able to quite figure out in film that one day you hope we might be able to figure out how to do? Well, I think, I mean, it's universally agreed upon, you know, in the visual effects world that we haven't quite yet got the ability to make a human being's face totally, a digital human face. Photo real. Hopefully, yeah. photo real. It's just not yeah. there yet. 
I don't know why. I mean, it's just, it's just we are so, we are so, as human beings, we're so subtly aware of, of uh, you know, reading the tiniest detail in facial expression. And, you know, it, it, will, it will get there and it's not far off, but it's not there yet. And so, and so when, you, when you see digital reincarnations, for instance, of, 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 of actors past or, or, you know, historical figures, it, it, you know, I mean, I always think, you know, if you were to take, for example, Gary Oldman playing Winston Churchill, um in the darkest hour you know there will become a day when not in the not too distant future where you can use photogrammetry to completely reconstruct winston churchill's face and then use facial capture as that's a way weird. of doing that you know that's weird so wow i mean and i think i think i mean in, in in the irishman it was kind of really successful at times and then not so you know so yeah. like for instance joe pesci's character was was was, was you know the the kind of the movement in age with him, I thought was incredibly successful. So, so sometimes it, you, you know, moments really work. And then, and then sometimes it's just, it's just like you're taken out, you know, you get, you get yeah. taken out. So, so I, I so I, I think that is something that's going to really evolve over the next five, five years or so. I think that's going to be completely, um, you know, well, and, 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 and actually you're seeing a dark side of that with deep fake, aren't you? you so yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah, terrifying. That's yeah. quite scary. I feel sure. like very responsible. That I might be, uh, you know, bringing people closer to world wars as a result. I don't know. It's on you, Circus. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. So I don't know if you can tell from my backdrop and, of course, my work shirt, um, but I'm the resident comic book geek, Andy. So I have to ask you about Ravencroft, Ravenscroft as a location. Um, sure. And I did hear you mention in one of the interviews you've been doing prior to this that, like, you know, let's not rush to Spider-Man because there's a lot to explore in this Venom universe, and I 100% agree with you. Um, so talk to me about the inclusion of Ravenscroft. I heard somebody named Siegfried get mentioned by name, and anytime anyone gets name-dropped, I think, like, that's probably important. Like, how fun is it populating those cells, and are there things in there that, that real fans are going to want to suss out? I mean, we, we wanted to go further, actually, give more hints of other characters in there. Eventually, we, 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 and there were moments where that, that was going to happen, but we didn't go down that route in the end. Because, again, you know, that place, that place can... And this was also, interestingly, there's, this is kind of like a Ravencroft West, because cause actually in the comics... Right, right. It's East Coast. Yeah, so, so it's upstate so New York, is, I think. Upstate yeah, York. right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So this is kind of like we're, we're sort of imagining a kind of a, a, another kind of parallel kind of oh. West situation. Interesting. Um, they franchised. But, yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, because, you know, we're in San Francisco and it's close to geographically had to be close to San Francisco. So 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 that. Yeah. So that so that is one thing. But but yeah, no, I really do think that there's a ton of mileage to be had out of, you know, what's broiling and roiling in behind those cell doors. Uh, you know, the, the, and we, I, mean, I, I, I won't give away to, you know, I actually don't want to give away the things that we, in case, in case they do emerge. Um, sure. But, but, but there are several, several supervillain characters who obviously have resided in, in, uh, in, in, in Ravencroft. And, and that's, that I think could become, you know, further down the line, a, a very interesting, um, potential source of fun good thank you very cool andy uh, jumping jumping topics here this is a question i've wanted to ask you for a while now obviously you were phenomenal in star wars and we loved what you did with jj abrams um and then we obviously saw what happens to your character in last jedi with ryan johnson 
I'm interested in knowing the conversations that you had with Abrams about the future of Snoke and where he may have gone. Because I know that different directors stepped in. I know that it wasn't fully planned out. And I just wondered, like, did you have any conversations with Abrams about where that might be going? And then filming your death scene in Jedi, that must have been uh, an interesting thing for you. But I'm just curious where your head was at in terms of what Snoke's arc was going to be all along. I, do you know what? I never actually knew what Snoke's arc was going to be. And so when people kept asking me what, you know, you know, who, 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 you know I, I was just like, I can't tell you. And the reason I can't tell you is because at this point, I, I you know, I don't know. That was what, you know, while we, while we were making the films. And then, so, so it was, I, I, I knew, I knew it was, it was, um, you know, people had so many different theories and obviously there was the kind of the whole Palpatine of it all, you know, so, so I knew I had to sort of fill in certain sort of dots for myself. Um, but, but actually, um, yeah, it, it, it was, it was the mystery of that was as, as, as important as, as, you know, the not knowing, I think I knew that, that JJ kind of wanted him to be so mysterious that, that there was no answer in a way. I think, and that was the kind of the power of the character in a sense. So, um, uh, and then, and then <laughs> when I read the script for, for uh, Ryan's film and I was like, oh, man, this is great. This character's really, I love this. This is going great. This is like, a, what? You know, it was like, <laughs> horrified. I was just totally horrified. I mean, I could see the value in it dramatically, but I was like, <laughs> I mean, really? You know, it was, just, um, it was a total shocker. I mean, it really was a total shocker. But then, of course, you know, I mean, it's Star Wars and things happen in mysterious ways in Star Wars and characters have a, have a you know, sometimes can come back and all the rest of it. So, so it's just like... It, I saw yeah, Darth it, Maul get chopped in half and he became yeah. pretty important later on. So. <laughs> all right. so, 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 yeah, sorry to be so cryptic, but that's the truth. <laughs> No, no, it's interesting. Um, Andy, I'm going to jump topics again because, uh, as we mentioned a couple of weeks ago when you and I spoke, uh, we're looking at the 20th anniversary of uh, Lord of the Rings, which is just uh, just astonishing to me because I was such a, a pinnacle part of like my parents literally taking me out of school on opening day to go see all three films. Um, I'm sort of curious. We always heard stories about the cast collectively getting together and getting a tattoo. I'm curious as to if you were a part of that gang that has the tattoo. And I know only so many people were given rings, so I'm curious, what of golems were you gifted when filming was over? Yeah. Um, so the first question, yeah, no, because I wasn't part of the fellowship, I was absolutely excluded from having a tattoo, which is fine. Oh. Like, you know, <laughs> I didn't care. I was already there. I had my own thing, you know. <laughs> no, no, it was, it was very. You held the ring much... longer than anyone. <laughs> I know. I mean, but no, I was. It was definitely a fellowship thing. Um, I didn't take it personally. <laughs> um, you know. So, so no, that was fine. But actually, what I did receive, which is amazing, and was 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 a fantastic gift, was. Um, when so while we were doing pickups on um, uh, on the two towers, I went back to New Zealand. Everybody had left. I was doing pickups by myself um, uh, on the motion capture stage, and um, it happened to be my birthday. It happened to be my birthday one Easter, and um, and 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 I was invited over to Pete Jackson and friend and friend's house, and um, and we sat down and the you know I had a birthday kind of lunch with them and then and then and then and this was in this was in two thousand and three and Pete and Pete and Fran said we'd we'd like you to play King Kong and I was like wow mm. 
incredible king kong how, how does that gonna work you know so <laughs> so so we so anyway my mind was on fire and then and then and then at that lunch they gave me um they gave me the ring that elijah had worn in the two towers as, as my present and that's that, awesome. and that's wow. so, so i actually have that i actually have that ring so that so that that was my so tattoo pff, whatever yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, i feel i feel very blessed and I, and I don't know if you're aware but um i've i've just actually finished a recording of mm-hmm. um of the lord of the rings for, yeah. for the talk for, for for harper collins and for audit for audible.com um and that was I've just literally finished it over like a month ago. And that was six weeks of going back into Middle Earth and seeing the story from all the characters' points of view wow. and, and, and playing every character and, and reading these three books back to back. And it was six weeks of just me and a microphone. And it was incredible. It was the most extraordinary experience, like to go back to Middle Earth again and 20 years later and um and, and experience it it was it was so yeah it was an amazing thing it was an amazing thing because those I'm books excited are for that. extraordinary so excited right. for that i'm gonna bring you back to venom um andy because uh we got to see the the screening of the movie prior to the junket uh and then shortly after that you had these fan screenings which had a uh, an end credits scene that was not included for the journalists who attended the junket so my ah. first que- my first question is um how dare you and <laughs> secondly, well, can I just can I say firstly to answer, to answer that very quickly? <laughs> at that point, we didn't have an entitled credit sequence. I mean, that's how close we were again, close to the knuckle it was, because we only completed it literally a couple of days before the fans how saw it. How is that possible? How is that possible? <laughs> because, because you know, <laughs> if you, it, 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 you know, when you're making a movie, if you know you've got a certain length of time, you get it done in that time. And then if you've got that much extra time, you take it all and then you leave it all. It's like not doing your homework when you're a kid. You know, you leave it to the last minute. You know. but, <laughs> well, <laughs> then, um, so I'll ask this. Um, what happens in it and what does it mean? <laughs> well, hold on. Is this going? Am I now? Is this what? going out after people would have? No, I this can't. Will, I, this I, will, I know this will come out. Okay. Uh, this will come out the, be the week that it's opening. So I guess what I'll ask instead is. So far from those fan screenings, the secret's been protected. Um, what's your reaction to the fact that I'm still having to ask you personally what, what's in the scene? You <laughs> must be pretty happy. Way, you don't want to know. You don't want to know because I think you'll enjoy it when you actually see it, when you, when, when you see it. You really will. And, and I think the fans, yeah, they, 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 they were very super, super excited when, when you know, when, when, the, credit, when the end the title credit sequence came yeah. up, when that little scene came up. Very cruel. I can't wait Very to cruel, see it. Sir. Right, Kevin, I, Kevin I, I think we can fit in one more. Yeah, Andy, I'm going to end on this. So uh, I've spoken to you a lot of times over the years, and to speak with you has, has meant more to me than you'll ever know because I grew up on Lord of the Rings and those films. I've never seen filmmaking taken to that level before. The first time I ever cried in a film just because the action was so epic was in Return of the wow. King. I just I couldn't get over what Peter had done there. So I was wondering if you could pinpoint a specific moment on those films when you were acting and you were just looking up and taking the direction from Peter, was there something that clicked in your mind where like, I want to be a director, I want to tell stories like this? Was there a specific moment, a shot, something that happened in the movie where it just clicked for you? And I'm sure that ambition has always been there, but do you have a story where maybe like that, that really kind of made an impact on you as a storyteller? 
I mean, I mean, it, it, it's, a, it's a great question. But the, the fact of the matter is that I had already wanted to start directing, you know, before, before, before Lord of the Rings right. happened. However, I saw Heavenly Creatures that Peter had directed and Fran had written with Philippa, you know. And, and I thought, if ever, and this is before I even knew I was going to be in Lord of the Rings, if ever I could direct a movie, I want to be able to direct like that guy. I mean, and that is, that is the gospel wow. truth. I, wow. I, I was so blown away by the storytelling, the camera work, the visual effects, the, the kind of, the kind of the, you know, the, the holistic approach to how he, they make films as a team. The, 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 you know, the, the un, it's forensic, the detail, and, the, and just the beauty of the way that the camera supports performance. I just, I literally thought before, oh, there's a chance to be working with Pete. If I, if I ever direct, I, I'd love to be able to direct like that. So it was just an amazing, you know, when I found out I was, I was going to be working with them, I, I told, I told, you know, I told them that. And, uh, and, 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 and what was incredible, and I think, okay, so to, to sort of, when, when I first, uh, cause I, so I auditioned for, for the role of Gollum um, and, uh, you know, we went down on tape for it and did a version of kind of Gollum's voice, which I think is actually an Easter egg on one of the uh, DVDs. You can see a very early version of, of, of Gollum, which was based on that, coughing up furballs. Um, so, but, um, but when I met with them, and this is, this is the seminal moment, actually. When I first met Peter and Fran, I kind of all sort of, felt very much in love with them <laughs> because the, 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 what he was talking about was going on an adventure that he didn't know how he was going to achieve the end result, which was we're thinking of using this thing called motion capture. I don't know if it's going to work, but we want an actor to inhabit the role of Gollum, someone to play the character so that, so that the other actors can believe that they're, they're, they're talking and reacting and being with you know, with, with this, with this character on set. And then, and then what was extraordinary was, was how it all evolved as a result of that very first notion that, that somehow it was a big sea change in kind of visual effects turning into character. I felt like I witnessed that and witnessed that evolve throughout the whole of the process of working on Lord of the Rings because it kept, you know, changing, you know, it was, it was like, well, what if we try this? Well, what if we try, you know, I had a tiny little, volume to work to work in which was like three you know like literally about a meter square to, that i couldn't move out of when we first started working on lord of the rings by the end of lord of the rings we were trying facial capture we were you know capturing on set it was all of that was uh, had evolved so so it wasn't a one single moment but it was a collection of moments i suppose which led to this these people but but peter at the center of it enable stories to come to life in ways which we don't know yet. And that, and that was what was so exciting. And that's what really inspired me to, 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 to you know, when he, you know, when he, when he offered me the opportunity of directing the second unit on The Hobbit, it was yeah. just like, this is, this is, this is a, such a gift. You know, we, we shot two, 200 days of, of second unit on The Hobbit trilogy. Oh, and, wow. Oh know, my God. How many days was, was Venom? Like, How many days was Venom 2? As a comparison. 54. 54. 54. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You know, wow. It was, it was like, it was like, we shoot this whole movie in 54 days. That's why it's only an hour and a half long. No, I'm only joking. <laughs> 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 it was just like, bang, 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 bang. We had to be so prepared for Venom. Uh, wow. Anyway, that's, that was, that was, that was, yeah, to well, answer your question. Thank you.
Andy, I wish we had uh, a week with you because honestly, just to go over the topics we didn't even get to, um, Naomi Harris, Woody Harrelson, Michelle Williams, your incredible cast, um, oh. you know, the, the the number of things that go into this film, uh, I cannot wait for fans to see Beltrami it. Beltrami score. Beltrami oh, score. Yeah, oh, my God. God. oh my God. Oh my God. It's, it's fantastic. Incredible. Yeah. Incredible. And, and that's another, you know, look, that was another kind of thing, you know, working remotely. I literally talked to Marco from afar kind of twice and just said, look, this is what with the sort of thing we want. We want that intimacy. We want the twisted nature of Cletus and, 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 and Shriek's relationship. And, and, but we want it to be able to go, go from the tiny to the operatic, you know, mm. to the kind of, uh, and, 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 and sort of, you know, Cape Fear was was uh, the, the the Bernard Herman kind of vibe. You know, all of that kind of mm. that that was what he really got that and just and and I just think it's a brilliant score. I mean, really I just is. and he did, he did. You know, he ran with it. It was great. Mm. That's fantastic. Well, we can't thank you enough for your time, Andy. Thank you for coming on the show. Hopefully, we we'll get you back. No, thank uh, you. Sometime soon. And uh, be safe, oh, be so. well, and continue you success, too, guys. Yeah, great Good to, to see you, buddy. We want to thank Sony for giving us uh, time with Andy Serkis. Just a tremendous interview. Really, really great guy. Uh, we will talk about Venom later on in the show and give you guys our spoiler-free review. Kev, what do you want to say about Andy? I just remember, it's crazy. So years ago, when Lord of the Rings were coming out and they are putting like the Blu-ray, uh, the DVDs out and all this stuff, like I, I would watch all of these featurettes that like Peter Jackson would put together and like and just the behind-the-scenes stuff. And like, you know, at that time, motion capture technology was something that was relatively new and the, the idea of like a person physically playing a digital character like that. Uh, and now it's obviously enhanced into performance capture where like in the, in, in the Apes films where it's a lot more realistic. But like it to, to me, and I've interviewed Andy Serkis so many times over the years, but it is crazy to me that we just had him on our show. And I've, and I've talked to him before, but it is like, it, like I, I want to go back to myself in like high school looking at those like Lord of the Rings featurettes and like thinking, Oh my God, how, this is Peter Jackson. This is mind blowing. How cool would it be to like meet Andy circus? Like, and no one knew who Andy circus was. And like, sure. and when the, and when those, and when the apes film started coming out and Jake knows this, we started doing junkets for the apes films and he was the star. So you had to do a junket and then go back to your station with an interview with Andy circus and explain who he is. And, and it, it was, it was interesting to explain it to an audience. Like, here's what this is. Here's how, you know, who this person is. He sure. played King Kong. He played Gollum. I mean, it's, it's really a cool thing that, that we had him on. He is one of my favorite actors working today. I think he deserved an Oscar for war for the planet of the oh, apes. Oh. And I, re and, and I, I hope, and, and anybody listening to this, the, the Academy, if you're ever listening Performance capture is acting. There's no difference whatsoever. We're seeing the performance just go through a digital uh, version of it. And that needs to be recognized. And I really hope that one day Andy deserves an Oscar. He's one of the best actors working today. I mean, his range from Black Panther to a film like Apes yeah. to a film like, uh, you know, Snoke, Star Wars, Snoke. Yeah. I mean, like yeah. it's, it's truly incredible how underrated he is. And, to have him on our show to talk about that technology, especially at the end of the interview when he kind of walks through motion capture. Yep. It's insane. That was great. Sorry. Just wanted to just wanted to express my uh, gratitude that we got to have him on. So it's outstanding. Yes. And he Part also, a quick little inside baseball behind the scenes, um, rearranged his schedule quite a bit to be able to uh, appear on Real Blend. And yep. I don't like for stuff like that to go uh, unappreciated or unnoticed. Yes. So we appreciate you uh, making that happen, man. 
This episode of Real Blend is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Power up your favorite characters and build a team to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and even challenge other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Arena. New ways to battle with your roster are released regularly and the meta is constantly evolving. And now you can sign on for Marvel Strike Force's new Deadpool Anniversary event in order to receive a generous gift containing character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, gear, and other great items. Better yet, each week during the Deadpool anniversary, players can complete events and receive even more special rewards and skins. If you want to get in on all the fun of Marvel Strike Force, be sure to use our promo code MAXPOOL, that's M-A-X-P-O-O-L, and thank you to Marvel Strike Force for supporting the show. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, let's get to the talking points. One of the filmmakers who we appreciate a lot on this show uh, is Paul Thomas Anderson, and he has yeah. a new trailer coming out. Uh, his follow-up to Phantom Thread, I guess. Uh, when was mm. Phantom Thread? Three, four years ago? Four years ago? Yeah. At this point? And I, oh my god, I, time, I, will, I cannot, I'm never gonna be able to figure out time again. I will never forget seeing Phantom Thread in 70mm Arclight and then telling Sean to go and you took Michelle. Yep. That, tell me that wasn't one of the most incredible experiences. Like, 70mm with Phantom Thread was just... With oh. the playlist. I mean, he had a curated oh. playlist beforehand. Oh. He, obviously, he treats it like an experience. Um, Beautiful. So you guys are super hyped for this trailer, Oof. and uh, Kev, I'll let you go first um, because I'll come in as a bucket of cold water at the very end for for a reason. I'll tell I'll tell you why. But Kev, go ahead first. I mean, I'm all I'm all in. Just in. I mean, first of all, like from the first frame, the way the way the way he creates worlds, uh, I I just dove in immediately. I, obviously, there's a very emotional aspect to having Philip Seymour Hoffman's son uh, in the film, which is obviously really. Because, I mean, I think back to some of Hoffman's best performances in PTA's films. The one I think back to the most is probably the one in the car. Uh, or, yeah, yeah, the one in Boogie, in Boogie Nights. Like, he's just absolutely amazing um, at Paul Thomas Anderson as a filmmaker. But Phantom Thread, I mean, Phantom Thread was a movie that made buttering toast intense. <laughs> and I don't know any other filmmaker that can do that. I, I really don't. And I think he's I think he's just a brilliant director. The title is amazing. I love the title Licorice Pizza. Bradley Cooper's performance looks incredible. It looks something very different from anything he's done before. Um, I love that there's a filmmaking aspect to it, obviously, which is cool. Um, I also love that he put Maya Rudolph in it because uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't think people I think people forget sometimes that Paul Thomas Anderson's married to Maya Rudolph. Is this the um, first time she's been in one of his films? I don't. I don't know. Someone can yeah. someone check on that because I, I want. He has his big tra- ensembles. Yeah, when I saw her in the trailer, I was like, "That's awesome!" I was like, "I was like," because last time I interviewed her, I geeked out with her about Phantom Thread and and how much <laughs> I love I love her husband's work. But um, PTA is, in my opinion, in the category of Tarantino and Nolan and these guys who. Do you guys remember what happened with the Licorice Pizza trailer first? So before he put it online, oh yeah, he pr- he printed a thirty-five millimeter print of the trailer and played it exclusively in theaters. That was the only way you could see it. Was like I think New Beverly had it, and I think one of the theaters in New York had it. And that's how much he cares about the film experience. And you can't deny that the greatest filmmakers of all time, which includes Spielberg and all these guys, they're still shooting on film. Even No Time to Die is shot on film. So it's like. PTA is just keeping it going. 
and he's such a specific director and I, I and I'm excited about everything he does. Every movie he makes is different. There will be blood, Phantom Thread, Boogie Nights. I mean, Hard Eight. I mean, it's just incredible. Uh, very excited about that movie. Cool. Jakey, where are you at? Yeah, I'm right there with you, man. I got to be honest, I have not been as hot on Paul Thomas Anderson's films these past few years as Kevin has. I, I'm very much a fan of like early PTA. Like I love Magnolia and Boogie <clears throat> Nights and, and all the way through There Will Be Blood. Around the Master is kind of where he started to lose oh. me a little bit. If it, now, granted, oh, I love master. a lot of aspects oh. about the Master, and I love, I, and it's one of my favorite Hoffman performances. And there are a lot of individual, but that's kind of where I started going. Like, okay, I'm not quite as sold as I used to be. Um, this kind of feels like a little bit of a return to form. Um, I keep calling it Boogie Days, um, <laughs> which you know kind of just feels like a little bit of a slice of life. Like we're going to just sort of step into a world, get a feel for it, and then step out, which is very much what I I love from him. Um, so I'm, I'm more excited about this movie from him than I have been a, for one of his movies in a long time. I think it's uh, Jake, that return I, to form that you're talking about. Revisit Phantom me. Thread, by the way, if you can. I will. I, I only that. saw the one time in theaters. It has oh. me, that aspect of it has me a little bit concerned of just, I've seen him do this before. And, and only because I'm the opposite of you in that I've liked all the different places that he has gone over the course of his career that he can follow up um, Boogie Nights with uh, Magnolia, and then Magnolia yeah. can shift to um, There Will Be Blood. There Will Be Blood can shift over to The Master. The Master can shift over to Inherent Vice. I love Inherent Vice. I know most people don't. Um, Phantom, And then Inherent Vice is can't be any more different than Phantom Thread. So I, I was looking forward to him continuously pushing himself in new directions. And the fact that you can even call this Boogie Days, you know, and make it seem like... I don't want to make this seem like a knock, but if you didn't tell me that was Paul Thomas Anderson and I watched the trailer, I would have thought like, oh, cool. Someone's trying to make a Paul Thomas Anderson movie. See, I would have I would have maybe thought, oh, someone's making a Cameron Crowe movie. Interesting. That's interesting. interesting. Also, one thing I will say is this, and, and then I don't know why this came into my mind, but it's based on Sean's point. So Wes Anderson popped in my mind for a second because Wes Anderson while all the films are different, they all feel the sure. same. They feel mm-hmm. like Wes Anderson films. Um, and I'm not, that's not a knock at all. I mean, I just Moonrise Kingdom has the same feel to me as like Bottle Rocket or whatever. There's just a feeling to that. Mm-hmm. PTA, there's a there's a gigantic difference between There Will Be Blood and Boogie Nights. And like, I mean, he has a style which is like, but, but I don't know how to explain it because it's so, he goes so many different places. But I do agree that this one does have that Boogie Nights. And I actually think the Cameron Crow example is good too. But Wes Anderson is someone that I think, does, so does Wes Anderson bother you in that regard, Sean? That like, that it, it always feels that way? Yeah, yes. Um, hmm. But I don't think that over his last, say, four movies, I don't think Wes Anderson has pushed himself or challenged himself to break out of his mold. Interesting. Um, I think he just makes, he knows his mold and, and you keep going back for the next Wes Anderson. I thought with his last four or five films, Paul Thomas Anderson was really going out for, for totally different things. Yeah. Um, And I dug Phantom Thread because it was completely different from (laughs) there will be blood. You know, like if you put, showed those two back to back, you would probably not think that they came from the same filmmaker. Um, So to see him return and and listen, it could end up being fantastic. You know, that's my this is a snap judgment based on the trailer alone, because the things that inspired me the most after watching it were Bradley Cooper and Sean Penn. 
who look like they're in a different movie. You know, they're, yeah. they're doing something totally unique and different, and I want to see how they yeah. fit into it. So, but the Sean, look would of you it say, is great. Would you say Phantom Thread was delicious? Uh, yes, I would say that. And that I, was I, wait, I I'm with you is, on the buttery toast, too. Yes, that is, is also um, a fantastic scene. Is that's, Bradley what, Cooper, that's what. Yeah. I'm sorry, is Bradley Cooper playing John Peters, like the producer yes. famously obsessed with spiders, John Peters? Yes, I believe so. Like yes. the, did you ever hear. Have you ever heard. Kevin Smith's story about John Peters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And about the whole, like, how whenever they were remake, whenever Tim Burton was going to do Superman and they got Kevin Smith to write it, he kept having to meet with John Peters. And John Peters kept being like, okay, but the final villain has to be a spider. Like, spiders are are, are (laughs) the most terrifying creature in the universe. It has to be a spider. They are. It has to be a fucking spider. And so it didn't end up happening. And all of a sudden, Kevin Smith says, you know, down the, the, like the next summer, I went and saw the new John Peters movie that he produced. And it was a movie called Wild Wild West. And Hmm. what is the big mechanical thing at the end? Like Kenneth Branagh is on a mechanical spider. Like he has this weird (laughs) obsession with, so that's the guy Bradley Cooper's playing? I believe so, yeah. Because I'm pretty sure John Peters was a a beautician uh, before he became producer. Yes, that is correct. And I think he was a beautician for Barbara Streisand. That is correct. Strike Which is why that whole, that whole bit, yeah. yeah, that whole bit in the trailer, that was really, that's really funny. I love yeah. when Bradley Cooper can do that better than anybody else. Can can I, can I ask you guys a weird role like that. Can I ask you all a question? Why do you think it's called Licorice Pizza? There's a, there's apparently a shop uh, in the valley that, it, like, the, an actual place that existed and, and maybe still exists or maybe existed through the 70s or 80s. Like, it's a very regional reference from what I understand. Hmm. And I don't it's know a if it's great a great title. I don't know if it's a pizza place or a record store. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> interesting. But I guess we'll find out. But but like, and that's the thing. Like, it's so very San Fernando Valley. You know, PTA making a movie about that that area. That's his whole. Oh, is that what, is it a vi- that's a vinyl reference? Like like vinyl black vinyl looks like licorice pizza kind of thing. Maybe. That's, oh, that oh, would make oh, sense. I never even thought well about done, that. That would make babe. sense. I think You're hundred percent right. It's a circle. Yeah. The hell are you talking about? Dude. I just said it's a record store. Yeah. Why are you I giving me that? He news. said record store. He said vinyl. Like there's no but <laughs> I didn't put together the pizza and the and the record. Yeah. Until well, Gabe said I. that. Wow. It was like because I love Sean, that title. Yeah, that's if really that's what cool. it is, maybe they just that, eat pizza with licorice on it. Yeah, you're because right. Because it's right. not, then missed opportunity. Yeah. PTA is definitely a vinyl guy. We know he has to be. I mean, he shoots on 100%. film. He's yes. 100%. I bet you has a massive vinyl collection. Yes. Um, you know, and I respect that. So, <laughs> Gabe, if the, it, Gabe, that's that's that makes me happy. I think that's I, true. I that's think cool. I still owe credit to Sean. I just no, no, Sean, Sean, Sean gave you the. Sean gave you the ball, there. and then you alley ooped it in. Sure. In, in fantasy yeah. football terms, yes. Sean got all the points for getting to the end zone, but Gabe yep. got the six points plus point one right. for getting the touchdown. <laughs> right. Fair enough. All right. Uh, so that when do we know? Is that do we have an opening date for Licorice Pizza? Is that November or October? Let me. I'll I'll check. I got you. I, I have wait. to repeat while Gabe is looking this up the story about the uh, the studio reps at CinemaCon that were like. We have the new Paul Thomas Anderson coming out this year, and once he tells us what it's all about, we'll share it with you. <laughs> like they had no idea, so he literally has such complete control. Hey, Sean, uh, I heard it's coming out on November twenty sixth. Wait, Jake, I heard November twenty sixth as well. Did you? I, I heard six days after November twentieth. Yes. Sense. Okay. All right. Fair okay. enough. Okay, we'll go with that. November twenty sixth. <laughs> uh, this week in movies, let's get to a couple of big things that are opening. Uh, coming up, the Adams Family. Part two. Yeah, Has anyone no, no, seen no. the Adams Family too? 
so weirdly enough, I'm actually watching that tonight. I, oh. I, I, I texted you guys in the thread. I, I get an email today that was like, hey, can you interview Charlie Theron tomorrow for Adam's Family too? And I'm like, this is a quick turnaround. I'm like, sure. I was like, okay. So apparently they're sending me a link, so I will be watching it this evening. Okay. Well, Haven't seen Kevin will tell us about it next week. Uh, coming to both theatrical and HBO Max, A Soprano Story, The Many Saints of Newark. This uh, is Jake, all Jake. This I will let Jake. you go first. Well, on Sean this one. too. Yes. Sean's a massive Sopranos fan, and I, I got a chance to see it also. Yes, but Jakey, you start. Kick us off. Um, I absolutely love this movie. Um, mm. I think it very much helped that I rewatched uh, a huge chunk of The Sopranos uh, leading up to it. I think if you are a fan of Sopranos and specifically remember characters and who they become, then I think you will love this movie and really appreciate this movie. I gotta be honest with you. I'm not sure how much value there is. Because for me, the weight of this movie... Daenerys feels the same way. The weight of this movie, the tragedy of it comes from... She's just yelling Gabagool is what she's trying to say. Yeah, (laughs) Gabagool. The weight of this movie comes from knowing what happens. You know, the the, the scenes, and and Sean, you and I talked about this, when when Tony is holding a baby Christopher, Hmm. and you know what happens on The Sopranos, it makes that scene in Many Saints of Newark just crush your soul. It just, like, it's just... So that makes me think if you didn't watch it and don't know, you're just watching Tony hold a baby. So is it it as significant? Would it work? I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think so Now, I've talked to a few people who watched the movie without having seen The Sopranos, and they say they liked it. But then I say, okay, but scene X... Do you realize that that's important because of X, Y, and Z? And they go, oh, no, I didn't realize that. And I go, yeah, and yeah. scene Y, do you realize that it's important because of this, this, and this? And they go, oh, my God. No, you know, so, like, okay. I'm not saying you won't enjoy it, but it would. it's just going to be another mob movie to you. Yeah. Like, yeah, if yeah, you yeah. haven't seen it. And kind of an average one. An you average know, mob movie. Not an above average. Yeah, not an above average one. What, what, take, what makes it elevated for me was... The, rel- the the revelation re- revelation the revelation of of who was responsible for Dickie's death uh you know just like that 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 was massive because that's something that we never got a definitive answer for um in the sopranos yeah and whenever you find that out like my mind was blown I was like it made me look at an entire chunk of the sopranos differently an entire character you know it's so I absolutely loved it but I absolutely think that a a love and an appreciation and a memory of the Sopranos is like, I honestly don't know if I would have appreciated it had I not gone back and at least rewatched a few seasons of the Sopranos to remember who everyone was. Now I'm having a flip reaction to it in that. Um, so the, the main character is Dickie Moltisanti who gets yes. mentioned a lot on the Sopranos, but you yes. never met. Correct. He's dead. He's dead by the time Sopranos starts, but you know, Christopher Moltisanti who is Dickie's son. Um, and obviously becomes a protege of Tony over the course of the entire show. Um, and so it tells the story of Dickie Moltisante. We have now realized after the fact that Moltisante is translated as many saints. So the title is actually the Moltisantes of Newark, which makes a ton of sense when you realize it's all about their entire family. Um, I'm now watching Sopranos episodes. I watched a few of them to sort of catch up and, and I've seen the series all the way through, but I watched a few to catch up. Then I watched the movie and now I'm back on the rewatch and it makes me feel all the more tragic Um for Tony in particular, for just seeing Tony, because you get so much in this movie of Michael Gandolfini playing the younger version of Tony, uh, James Gandolfini's son. 
and and he plays him very much as like a, as a normal kid, you know, as a kid who's part of a family who kind of understands what's happening, but doesn't really, you know, know how deeply involved everybody is uh, in it. And and now to see what he's become in The Sopranos, it adds a layer of tragedy that I think can only enhance uh, your appreciation and viewing of the show. So, hundred percent recommend. You know, I, I totally agree with Jake in saying that you're going to get you're going to get way more out of it if you happen to be a fan of The Sopranos. Um, but I, I think it was made for people who like The Sopranos. I don't think it's made as a introduction to the show or to pull you in. I think it's supposed to be a counterpart to to the show that's there. Yeah. So this, this is a weird comparison, but it's one of those things that like episode one, The Phantom Menace, it it's made better by knowing who that little boy becomes. Sure. Yeah, Which is why absolutely. whenever people talk about like what 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 order to watch Star Wars in, I still say watch original trilogy first because the prequels are made better oh, yeah. when you know what ends up becoming of that kid. Yeah. I also you say watch that it in order release. Yeah. yeah, I think Many Saints of Newark, defi- to me, definitively answers the mystery about the finale of the of the show. And I shared my theory with Jake. Do you think Do you think I'm onto something? Unquestionably, okay. on question. Like honestly, I. I if I don't see how you could tell your theory. I know we're being very vague. I don't see how any you could tell anyone your theory and have them go, "No, I don't agree with that." And here's why. I gotta write about that for the site. I'm gonna write about that for the site. I'm gonna put it on by like Friday or Saturday. So, oh, uh, okay, write it up first. That will be will be available. My theory. The Palm Door winner this year was a movie called Titan, <clears throat> and everything I've heard about Titan. Uh, prior to trying to watch it was um, go into it as cold as possible. It's it's better if you know nothing about the plot uh, and where it's going. And the, the director previously had done a, a cannibal movie called Raw. She got a lot of attention for directing that film. I never saw Raw. Did you get a chance to see Raw? Yeah. Was it a deeply disturbing? Yeah. Okay. Um, so we're... Um, we're going to hold off on reviewing this because I want the other two guys to see it. They're going to get screening links of it and we'll probably talk about it at length um, in an, in an upcoming episode. But there's a, um, there's a hashtag if it happens attached to it as well. Yes. Can I say that? So yeah, I think so. But yeah, Titan yes. is coming hashtag out. Hashtag if in, it happens uh, is just superstition. It's not yeah. uh, an embargo. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I hate that I've adopted it because I used to criticize <laughs> yeah, Kevin for it. To, now yeah, it's like a massive it. part of my life. It really is. <laughs> uh, it's coming out in a limited release. So hopefully you guys get a chance to uh, check it out this week and just it, consider it prep uh, for something fun that we might get to do on the show uh, down the line. Um, Kev, you saw The Guilty on Netflix, am I right? Tell I us did. about The Guilty. Is it any good? I actually liked The Guilty. Um, Jake, I know you saw it too, so we can get into this. Um, it's, it was shot in 11 days. Uh, I'm sure. I'm assuming you guys all know the story about what happened with Fuqua. So it's, and how- it's Jake Gyllenhaal is a, is a 9-11 operator. Is that right? 911 yes. operator? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So yeah. in the film, Gyllenhaal plays a 911 operator uh, who receives a call, and it's a woman in distress, and he tries to basically uh, help find her and help solve the mystery, right? Jake, okay. that's probably the best way to say it. Um, but Fuqua, uh, who directed the film, who's an amazing filmmaker. I don't know if you guys heard the story about how we had to direct this. Did you guys read about this? In like a van down the street, right? Because he had by the river. river. Did Um, he have COVID or did he just have like proximity to COVID? According to Entertainment Weekly, he was in proximity to somebody who had COVID, but he tested negative, I believe, but still directed the entire film from a van down the street and the entire film takes place in that in that one that one 
it never leaves the the center Jake, right the call uh, center Jake, no it never leaves the call center that's so, interesting so what's interesting it's cool how they did it so all the actors so everybody that jake gyllenhaal is talking to in the film are all zoomed in and they're live conversations okay so every so any person who calls into the 911 center that gyllenhaal is talking to and it's being filmed the majority of those scenes Joan Hall actually had them you could he had them on a zoom call and they did those scenes live so like it's not just him like recording his lines and some AD giving the other side of the call like it's pretty fascinating how they put the film together 11 days to shoot this um and Joan Hall's amazing he's, he's just he, he carries the whole film he's incredible in it um you know the character himself there's a backstory to him that has emotionally put him in the place that he's in uh and Jake, like I'm trying to remember, do they do they ever show a don't they ever show like a scene where they do a, a, almost like a blurry scene outside of the call center of a cop pulling someone over, or, or, or is it always just there? I can't remember the specifics. I was trying uh, to remember. It's been a few weeks. Don't you I've remember? I, or or I, does he see a? Maybe you're right. I do say I do seem to remember a, a, a cop car pulling over a van at some point. Yes. So and, and so the reason, I did have the, the director the, the, the in fires. There there's. Yeah. There, Wait, what? Yeah, yeah. I said, did it have the director in it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so I, I wanted to clarify that because Sean asked if they ever leave the room, and I, now I remember that scene where a, a police officer pulled pulled over that okay, van. Okay, but so yeah, it, but if it, like 99% but, of it's in the room, that's... But the majority of it is in the like room. It's like saying 1917 yeah. is one take. Yeah, basically. <laughs> um, uh, but I, listen, I think Fuqua is, a, is such a fantastic storyteller and director. I... Loved Olympus Has Fallen. Obviously, Training Day was incredible. Um, Olympus Has Fallen is a very underrated action film. I know it's Die Hard, but it's really, really awesome. That movie is awesome, and it's so well-directed. Uh, and I think... What was the one he did with uh, Gerard Butler was really good, too? Um, oh, my God. What is the name of it? Uh, it was like this... Uh, I can't remember the name off the top, off the top of my head now, but I'll, I'll look it up later. But it was really good. Anyways. Um, and Gyllenhaal like is always interesting. Gyllenhaal has another movie coming out in... February called Ambulance, uh, directed by Michael Bay. Is he just in the back of an ambulance? He's in the, the back movie? of an ambulance. He's our time. Well, he and he He's and really his lazy. he and his stepbrother um, use an ambulance as a getaway after a bank robbery. That's okay. cool. That's the hook. Oh, that's. Um, cool. But it's directed by Michael Bay, so it's like carnage. You know, normal Bay carnage uh, as they try to escape this thing. So uh, that's coming up. Okay. Oh, geez. Look, I, what a transition. Wait, Jake, you had to review The Guilty. What'd you oh, think yeah. of it? I wasn't a fan. Um, I, I was intrigued within, like, for the first 15 minutes. I was like, oh, I like the hook. I thought the actual um, plot itself just got really, really ridiculous. Like, what ends up being, like, the resolution to the the situation that's going on? Every 10 minutes, I just sort of felt like, okay, come on. Like, let's go. Like, let's get this figured out. I honestly, for a 90-minute movie, I thought it felt really, like, I was actually, like, Kept I, we watched it via uh, a, a screener. I kept pausing it to see how long there was left. Oh, that's um, that's death. And uh, and by the it. end, I just sort of went like, "What the like? What the hell is going on?" Um, and uh, yeah, I just, I was not into it. And then I also I felt like there were a lot of like actions made by people that I just thought like that's not how a normal person would behave under those circumstances. Like a normal person I, wouldn't, yeah. you know. So I I I actively disliked the film. Oh. I liked it. But I didn't love it. I liked it. I thought, huh. By the way, 
like Fuqua has an amazing filmography. Just go through like the replacement killers. Like just go through his whole his whole the Equalizer. I mean, he's made some really really good stuff. I, mean, sure. I don't know if you guys saw Bro- Brooklyn's Finest was really really good. Shooter with Mark Wahlberg was amazing. Shooter's Southpaw great. with Jake Gyllenhaal was great. Shooter might be one of the most underrated action movies ever. Like Wahlberg is so good. Wahlberg's in that movie. great. Like, I feel like has yeah. Wahlberg had to had as good of a performance since then probably boogie nights oh, oh you mean since, no, since then oh, pain since, game? since then painting game is good but shooter, awesome. shooter is super super underrated did you guys like southpaw yeah with yeah. Hall? i, I feel like i feel, like, I feel like fuqua consistently makes good yeah. films. i wouldn't say yeah, he makes he's a great, great director films. yeah like but i but i would say yeah. like makes great like he doesn't make great films he makes he i didn't like his magnificent seven i will I say um but like magnificent seven was good and like training day was, was good. Training day was great, but training day was literally twenty years ago. Yeah. Um. Let's got, move on to. Yeah. So you recommend uh, Kevin recommends throwing it on. Jake says. I, uh, no I liked it. I thought it was interesting, and I. But I will say the reason why I do like the guilty. I like the way it was made, and I like the way that like like that he directed it down the street. I like that like Joan Hall hey, was really on these calls. It just it just it was cool. It was a cool. It was almost like an experiment. And I don't thought it was feel cool. don't feel guilty for liking it. <laughs> no, I'm just saying I liked it for those reasons. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Um, I have seen Venom. Let there be carnage. Uh, Not just that. You've seen the bonus scene. Well, so when we saw it for the junket, uh, of which Andy Circus was uh, was a member of the the show, as you guys heard earlier, there's a post credit scene that they did not include for for junket press. And they told us that it was because it wasn't ready in time, which I don't think is, I think that's a lie. I think sometimes we just get lied to. It's not like they slapped this thing <laughs> well, together. No, no. People just heard, I think Andy Circus said it in our interview today. Well, he said that, he did say that also yeah. too. And he said the scene he was finalizing at the very last minute was like Woody Harrelson walking away from the prison after he breaks yeah. out kind of thing. Um, but, so yes, I now have seen the, why and I don't really want to talk about it though. I don't no, want to don't talk at talk length about, about what it no. is. No, no, no. no. Um, but it's a but game it's changer. Yeah. Can you text me what it is? I don't know what it is. Yeah, I'll text you right after the show. What it is? Te- no, it's- next time Jake is talking, yeah. text me now. Like I want. I, I need to okay. know. Like when next time Jake's you know. in the middle of speaking, text me. So right. I, here's what I'm going to say about Venom. Let there be carnage. Um, it is Venom. much better than the first one. No, but it's that's. Not. It, but that's not saying much. Uh, <laughs> The first one was not a good movie. I, I, oh, this is right. I forgot. You you like the first one. I like the first Venom. It's yeah. so much fun. I think that the idea of the first Venom was there. Um, and it, it is it is enhanced in this one. I don't think Ruben Fleischer is a very good director. I wouldn't have given the movie hey, to Ruben Fleischer. Zombieland oh. was awesome. Because of him, though? That, that's yeah. a Rhett, that's a Rhett Reese and Paul Wernick script. Still well directed though. That phantom yeah. camera they use in the beginning, a thousand frames per second, while the Metallica song is playing when the zombies are running. What is that? He's cool working intro. on right now. He's working on something on right now that I need. Uncharted. To be good. He's doing Uncharted. I need Uncharted to be good. Fleischer's yeah. good. I, I, I like casting him. Mark that, Wahlberg that, though makes me feel like Sully. it's not going to be good. I know, but the footage they showed at CinemaCon actually looked really good. It Did looked it? very game game specific. Yes. All right. There's some pretty cool stuff. There was a good scene of of Tom Holland falling out of an airplane, holding onto crates. 
that looked very... This is a, an incredible tangent that we're going down, but um, I also cannot wait for the Last of Us TV series. Speaking of PlayStation oh, properties, yes. I don't know if you guys have played that game. Just that one still that I they showed. I've played part two. I've played Dude, part one. Part two, Jake, if, if you can find a way to play it, um, some of the most... I don't think we've had storytelling structured and told like this. I think it's it's one of those things ever. that like I, I know... And you're what? you're really far and away the first oh, well, yeah. not the first person that's told me this. I just I have such a hard time sitting down and playing sure. those games, the the kind of games that require that. Like that's why if I'm going to play a video game, it's like a stupid Resident yeah. Evil where I can kill zombies for 20 minutes and turn it off. I would even I, say if you're not going to play, they put people upload um like cutscenes and stuff, and they sure. basically cut it like a movie on like YouTube, and you can just watch the story. Yeah. It's unreal. It's incredible. Well, this is a crazy Dude. tangent. Let's go back to Venom 2. But no, yeah. but, but, but to your point, my brother, my, my brother-in-law bought a PS5, and he brought it over to the house the other day, and we put the new Resident Evil game on. Nice. And you, if you remember back in the day, like, in the old day, like, the PS2s, the cutscenes always looked better than the gameplay, right? Mm-hmm. And now, like, it's full-blown, full like, 4K cinematic the entire time and i was just like going through this i'm like and i'll be see the trailer for the new um wolverine video game no 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 it looks astonishing (laughs) i will be i will be honest with you this and this might just be nostalgia speaking i would rather still play n64 goldeneye and mario kart than any only, of only, these new only, games. Only if we can order Pizza Hut and go to Blockbuster and grab a movie first. Yes, but no one can Tell me that's job. not a good Friday night. No odd job, though. No, no, no because no, that's no. cheating. That's cheating. Odd job with a knife. <laughs> no odd job. That's oh, so, but that's such like a little, but not that I, like, maybe, maybe because I was, maybe like, I was, that's such a little brother thing to do. Like, it was. Odd job. Nobody get, you, you. You could never be odd job, and if you were, it's like you, you were. You were. You were. Was cheating. he like overpowered? Is he? Well, he was overpowered. Shorter. No, he was significantly he, shorter. So if yeah. you had odd job in the knife, you could go behind someone yeah. and just just <laughs> jab him. And the whole I time your character's swinging game. around trying yeah. to find where he is and trying to yeah, shoot yeah. him. And all the while, little odd job is just stabbing him with a little that's tiny knife. That's pretty funny. And all of a sudden, and that's when and that's when the blood just starts streaming yeah, down yeah. here. Oh. Oh. Oh, say, saying odd job like gets me all fired up. So odd job had no time to die. Yes, I guess he would have no time to die. Anyone who uh, was opposite Odd Job had plenty of time to die. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So anyway, back to Venom. Let there be carnage. Speaking um, of Odd, it, 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 here's what I will say, and I think Kevin will agree with this. Um, if you if you liked the first one, you will like this one. Oh, maybe he won't agree with this. If you didn't like the first one, you're not going to like this. Um, I think it's very much. Uh, more of the same, but I think that they found the things to me that worked in the first movie and enhanced them. They lean into the Venom Eddie relationship. Uh, the effects to me are so much better. The symbiote is a character throughout 90% of the film. He's on screen through most of the time and it looks really phenomenal. Um, it's super goofy uh, and, and it's really silly. And I think going into the first Venom, I didn't expect it to be that. Um, but it's very clear that that's what, that's what Tom Hardy wants these movies to be. He wants them to be slapstick sort of physical comedy, him and his symbiote partner. Um, and then, you know, they leaned into the, the, the weirdness of it by casting Woody Harrelson as Carnage and Naomi Harris, uh, as Shriek. And, um, it's, it's, it's lean and mean. It's, it's 85 minutes, you know, in and out the door. And then there's this, uh, spectacular, 
about the chickens and why yeah. he can't eat the chickens. Right. I I died laughing <laughs> in a theater when he there there are two chickens that Tom Hardy is trying to get him to eat. Like, dude, you can't eat, eat people; just eat these chickens. And there are live chickens running around his apartment. And there's just two left. And Venom says, "I can't." Sonny and Cher are friends. <laughs> <laughs> Just lost it in a theater. And that's where I sort of, that's when I mentally went, cool. That's, you know what? Yep. Screw it. You know, it's, it's wait, stupid. Wait, wait, but wait. I, I'm, Jake, you are saying it's a good movie? No, no. I'm saying it is a bad movie, but I had a oh. good time watching it. I, okay. oh, I hated, okay. hated, hated venom one and had a miserable time while i was sitting in the theater like i yes. just i wanted it to be over i i thought it was just and this i recognize is not good it's not mm-hmm. a good movie right. but <laughs> it was stupid fun like it's yeah. still you know it's 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 the equivalent of you know of like you know uh, eating eating a fast food burger and you're like this is not good but like it's a I'd even argue like, like a like if you ate a water burger like that Look, that, that dude, would don't be do this, the equivalent you're, you're, of venom you're better than this. Yeah, yeah. I would even argue <laughs> I'd even argue that it's a it's a pretty well made bad movie. Like I think because of the material it was never going to be great. But like Robert Richardson shoots the shit out of it. Like yeah. there are fight scenes that look great in it because Rich- Bob Richardson's shooting it. The people behind this film are phenomenal. Like the Beltrami score Sarkis. is good. Beltrami score, yeah. Robert Richardson uh, DP, yeah. And it, it's the movie just feels like it's missing something. It's so fast, and it I, I don't even remember what happened in the film. <laughs> to be honest with you, it was like it was like I I I like the first one because I like that whole detective story kind of like what yeah. he was doing, and I thought I thought I liked the Riz Ahmed element. Um, and like I just find the Venom Eddie Brock, like I love those scenes. So in in going into this film, those scenes are great. Like I, I do like scenes when we're in the apartment and like Venom's messing with him, and like it's it's really crazy. But like these films should just should be R rated. I mean, this is a if you think about what Venom does. <laughs> like yeah. the fact that he like eats people's he heads. Eats people's heads. Venom yes. also like, should not like, be the hero. Like that's that's yeah. a, that's an inherent foundational yeah, problem with these movies. That is a little bit strange. I'm kind of but okay yeah. with that though. I haven't seen this one yet. I'm seeing yeah. it tonight. Yeah, I don't mind. But I, I'm okay with him being yeah. an antihero. Yeah, he's just so yeah. petulant. Like his petulance made me laugh. Gabe, this doesn't ruin anything. But there's one point where he just keeps screaming at Eddie that he's starving. And Eddie has to sit down to like work on something, and Venom just keeps making him type the word "dick" over and over again. <laughs> he's, he's like "dick, dick, dick," and finally Eddie Brock has to be like, "Fine, fine, we'll go eat something." It's stupid. It's so stupid, but it made me laugh a lot more than the first one did. So, but anyway, go because there's this amazing uh, mid-credit scene that you know without Sean, Sean called me today and told me what it was. Without hype and without exaggeration, um, it's a complete, complete game changer. And, and the whatever conversation... you may have heard that it was, because I'd, I'd heard, Sean, you told me a rumor well, about texting. a scene, and I'd you... heard that elsewhere as well yes. afterward. That's not it. Correct. If you that's heard something yes. about Times Square, that's not it. Correct. That is not it. But if I you heard something about from... Union Square... Now. now you're talking. Now you're talking. <laughs> um, all right, so let's get to our uh, blend game this week. Oh, real quick, Kev. Okay, so last week we played the oh, yes, uh, yes, yes. Mike Flanagan blend, and uh, Kev did not join the show last week, but he's back now, and so we wanted to give you an opportunity to tell us your favorite Mike Flanagan, which would include uh, film or television. Where would you go? 
Yeah, so it's it's interesting to me because I think. I Did you hear what we picked, what, by the way? Were you, were you no, so uh, give me, yeah, give me your pick. Uh, we'll get, actually wait. Uh, give me, yeah, give me your picks first. Uh, I, I have mine already, but go I ahead. went Hill House. Okay, I, I also went Hill House. I went Mass. Okay, all right. Um, I'm going Doctor Sleep. Oh, beautiful. Wow. That was like everyone's. That was in everyone's like yeah. second or third. Yeah, like we all here, individually felt guilty for not picking something that good. Yeah. So here's why Doctor Sleep is my choice. It's an impossible, impossible task yeah. to make that film anywhere near the level of what Kubrick did with The Shining. Mm-hmm. I would argue that Flanagan made a film on the same level as The Shining. It is that good. Like, he actually made a legitimately great sequel. That is one of, I mean, first of all, Think about this for one second. Think about how risky that film is to make for a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Okay? You are following in the footsteps of one of the greatest filmmakers in the history of movies. You're sequelizing a classic that is considered one of, I consider the, the probably the greatest horror movie ever made. Dr. Sleep is on that level. I mean, I, I don't really... I wouldn't put Dr. Sleep that much lower than The Shining. And that's why I had to pick that because he genuinely for so, the, so here's what here's what The Shining did for me and here's what Mike Flanagan did with Doctor Sleep that 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 why I picked that's why I picked this. The Shining was atmospherically scary. Every moment of The Shining made my stomach feel worried. I was petrified just walking through the the Overlook Hotel. Every single scene felt nasty, gritty angry and just scary to me dr sleep had the exact same element to it as it unraveled and i loved the connection i loved ewan's character and i loved how that all played out and then you arguably have the most insane and disturbing death scene i've ever seen in a movie in my entire life oh yes with, young with jacob. jacob tremblay baseball and boy. I just, I, 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 to this day, I don't understand how that even got through to the studio and how that even made it into a, a motion picture because it is such a disturbing scene. And it's I like, I think it's like spoken. Do you think that it's like the the Pulp Fiction, the 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 needle plunging? I think we think we see more in that scene than we actually do. What I was just about to say. Oh shit! I'm sorry. No, 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 no. I'm glad you said that because you're right. The comparison I was going to make was Seven, because in Seven. Fincher's violence is done in your mind. The violence is done. The aftermath is there. So as you watch the Flanagan scene go down, it's the it's the it's the screams, and then the director's cut when they splash the mm-hmm. blood on his face. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just I can't get over the fact that he made a movie that is on par with The Shining. I don't know if you guys agree with me. I don't know if I'm being hyperbolic here, but I think The Shining is a masterpiece mm-hmm. and I think Dr. Sleep is is right there with it and I mm-hmm. and I really wouldn't put it that far below it. I mean maybe like maybe like it's a centimeter here. You know what I mean? I, do you guys believe no, Dr. Sleep is on that level? It's an incredible yeah. achievement. Yeah. It's an incredible achievement and Re- Rebecca Ferguson unbelievable. A great element that kind of points out like just how impossible of a task it is and he still pulls it off is he had to actually recast The Shining. 
yeah. and it's flawless. Like you, it doesn't. Yeah. It's never distracting. Oh, yeah. the Nicholson thing was <sighs> perfect. Yeah. Like yeah. Uh, um, I'm telling you right now, uh, and Flanagan has really restarted. It's Henry Golding, right? Thomas. Is it, uh, Thomas. I'm sorry. He- Thomas. Is it Henry? Th- Henry, Henry Thomas, Thomas, sorry. L- Henry Yeah. <laughs> Who am I thinking of Henry Golding? Uh, Henry <laughs> Thomas. Sorry, I've been up since 5 a.m. Um, but Henry Thomas, obviously, he could have always just been Elliot from E.T., right? Sure. He could have just, I mean, like, that. that is, that. that's a hard character to break away from. Like, Macaulay Culkin really can't do much these days because he's kind of just always Kevin from Home Alone. Sure. But see, Flanagan, he needs, he needs a, a Flanagan in his right. life, someone to take a chance on him. And... Like, Flanagan's like really, really, cha- like brought his career back. Like, like I would argue he did for Henry what Tarantino did for John Travolta. Sure, because yeah. like I'm telling you right now, that scene in Doctor Sleep is amazing, and Midnight Mass. I'm getting shivers. His performance in Midnight Mass mm-hmm. is unbelievable. I think Flanagan might be. The most underrated director working today. Yeah. Well, because now that Midnight I, Mass has come out, I'm seeing how many people really do appreciate him, though. Like he's getting a right. lot of love from people. But Midnight Midnight Mass is it's it's disturbingly cathartic in such a weird way. And every performance, and obviously Hill House was brilliant. Um, but it's hard it's hard not to choose these because they're mm-hmm. all phenomenal. But I watched Midnight Mass and I was I was I was blown away. I could not believe what I experienced. But Doctor Sleep, I know I'm going on a tangent here, but I just feel like I don't know any filmmaker that could have pulled that off. Like like if you, if you told somebody I'm making a sequel to The Shining, yeah, you probably would say you're an idiot. Yeah. Like why would you even do that? I mean, what like like it's okay uh, for King to write one. You right, know? right, yeah, because right. it's his but, material. So, but to, but to direct a sequel to The Shining is it, it's to me. It's like I I don't understand how he did it. I don't know how he mentally did even it. when I don't know Spielberg how... threw the the Overlook into Ready Player One. I was kind of like, really, dude? Like, and you're he's fucking Spielberg, and I'm and like, he, you're gonna you're going to he, The Shining, <laughs> like, and, wow. they, and and they did a great job. With sure, it. yeah, but, yeah, but. But I, I just want to shout out Flanagan, and I'm also going to use this as an excuse to plug our interviews with him because we did one with him that was two hours long for Doctor Sleep specifically. It is a deep dive into Doctor Sleep, um, and then we just had him on for Midnight Mass. Like, just I'm so excited that we're witnessing him as a filmmaker, and he's been on our show, and he's just genius. And here's Doctor a, Sleep, man. Oof, here's a oof. fun, a fun Easter egg moment in the most recent Flanagan uh, conversation is. When we tell him, oh, they're telling us we only have a minute left and you can see his face like he looks disappointed, like he looks up, he's kind of shocked. And then he's yeah. like, because oh. <laughs> yeah. I think he knew then, it was going really well and he was having a good yeah. time. And then we ended up getting that really funny, like cat thing at the end, yeah. which was like, yes. which was, like the, 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 his, the, what, what was the line he said? He goes, he goes, the most, it was so cathartic to me to have a bunch of dead cats, like on a beach. Cause he says like, he hates directing well, what cats. What was the thing so he said? Much. Like, like you kill one dog and everyone goes nuts, but you right. kill a thousand cats and no one gives a shit. Yeah. 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 Well, and I, I, I want to give Jake credit on something real fast is for midnight mass because Jake had made a point, which actually kind of intrigued me and made me want to watch it more, which was the show is not what you think it is. And that third episode, that ending, and then what it is, like, I was, I was just like, 
oh my god like mm. it, it for anybody out there listening if you think it's one thing that's fine and, and gabe i think you said this as well it does deliver what you want it to be for the first three episodes but four five six and seven after the end of three it is yeah hmm. It's remarkable. All right, it's Kevin, remarkable. I just texted you the uh, the Venom, the Venom credits. Thing? All right, I'm gonna so read you that, read so... that, and Jake, right. give me your autumn movie blend pick. Okay, here we go. That. Uh, Halloween. Uh, really? Okay. <laughs> I just wanted to be really short, so Kevin wanted so to Kevin read it. I'm reading a, para- a whole paragraph here. No, I, I, I keep picked going. John Carpenter's Halloween. Sean wrote it like a script. He goes, exterior. <laughs> no, he did. He did. This long. Kevin's Bond movie is no time to read. No, I chose John Carpenter's Halloween, which I know might seem cliche or traditional, but look, I... When, when I see that film, when I see screenshots from that film, mm. I feel like the temperature of fall. I can see like sort of like the, the, the golden, the brown, red, yellow leaves. Like I can, I can smell like that fall kind of, you know, crinkling of, oh. of, the, of the, like kind of in the air. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like it's, it's a movie that brings about all that, that sort of that lights up all of my senses of a season. Which mm-hmm. is why I think for me it's the absolute perfect pick. Like it's it's absolutely the movie that I have to watch in October. Your October's are so dictated by oh, horror films too. Absolutely. And and did, like, didn't it, they? Didn't they famously not? Didn't they shoot it in the summer? Oh, they shot it in the summer. Yeah. And they had. I don't know. Sorry if you said that because I was yeah. reading that Venom thing. But like they like oh, they did a, such a good job of making it look yeah. like the fall. Oh, and they shot it in California, and it's supposed to be yeah. set in the burbs of Chicago. Yeah, 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 it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. in Illinois. Yeah. Um, no, it's, 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 for me, it is the quintessential fall movie because it is, it is not just tied to horror. It's tied to, uh, uh, a, a, a terror filled day in October. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's all the, all the aspects of the season, you know, in the same way that like, I love the shining, but I kind of love watching the shining when it's cold and snowy outside. I love watching the thing, but I love watching the thing when it's cold and snowy outside. I've got to watch Halloween Right as the the leaves are starting to turn, right as the, mm. right as the temperature is starting to drop, right as, right as it's time to sort of break out the jacket, and it's getting just a little snuggly, a little chilly outside. That's when it's time to uh, to, to to revisit my uh, my old friend, my old friend Michael. Yeah. Bill Bill Shatner. Bill Shatner. Bill Shatner. Bill Shatner. Bill Shatner. <laughs> um. But by, by the way, I so I read uh, Sean's text. That is unbelievable. It's, I am. In yeah. absolute shock. Um, so, uh, for anybody listening to this right now, yeah. you need to go see this movie for this scene because, oh my god, like yeah. what the hell? Yeah. Um, that's crazy. Okay, sorry, it's, sorry. It was pretty crazy. Um, oh, so, so you, have you seen it? Seen it? Last night, I went and saw. I went back to see the press screening here in Charlotte just oh, to see that it. scene. Oh. Yeah, okay, yeah. okay. I actually didn't know you physically saw. It. I thought, yeah. but, but but didn't someone tell you what it was before you saw it? Some people told me, but they were a little bit off. Um, okay, okay, so okay. seeing it for myself was was oh. kind of the cherry on top. Yeah, cool. It was cool. pretty great. Okay, sorry, uh, I missed that. Okay. So with Autumn Movie Blend, I was thinking um, I wanted something that the the entire story was set during autumn. Like, there's a lot of movies that have like autumn scenes, but then it spreads out over the course of like it gets into Christmas and it gets into spring, things like that. Um, and the two elements that dictate fall to me are. Um, a return to school, back to school. Like it always feels like back to school, and that's because I'm married mm-hmm. to a teacher, uh, and I have two two kids. And so for mm-hmm. us, coming out of summer and getting into August, September is always going to be 
back to school. So I, I was looking at that and I wanted, like everything was saying like Dead Poet Society, but this is where I, I think I've said this on the show before. I've, I've never seen Dead Poet Society and I feel like it's one I need to catch up oh. on. Yeah. Oh, wait, I didn't know you Have I never said that? that? Have I never said that? Yeah. No, oh, I, I think told you said you. it once before on show. I think I might have. Um, uh, I haven't seen it. Sean, you should see that movie like, like I, I understand I, I, that I, I, i'm not i'm not trying to be that guy who's like wait a second you haven't seen that movie i mean yeah, yeah. i mean i haven't seen class some classics too oh Dead i know Poets yeah is, it's it's it's, it's a blind spot for me for sure brilliant brilliant but i went with another robin williams one which is goodwill hunting um yeah. oh that's great and it's it's boston in the fall it's a little bit of return to school because everyone's coming back to harvard um and specifically the scene that that pushed me over the edge today in choosing it because i went back and rewatched a bunch of clips and goodwill hunting is one of those films that while it's brilliant from start to finish uh it's a great youtube uh movie in that you oh, can pull, yes. you can pull up scenes and yeah. they work individually that's a good that's a good uh that's a good uh way to say that isn't there that are weird some movie, yeah you're right yeah, you know what? Another, another really good youtube movie is uh, avengers endgame <laughs> oh all right that's <laughs> i mean it is we, you know what it, now, it, by it, the way not uh, just a little idea here. We should do you, like a YouTube, YouTube blend movie? game. It's not oh, YouTube movie blend game. Like yeah. a I'm sure, movie like the, I'm sure all the filmmakers go. we've had will really appreciate us. Uh, no, but like, well, like I no. understand. I, know, I need to compliment to in the middle answer. of your day. Want to pull up? I actually have my answer. Yeah, yeah. So, but the scene in question was, um, and this is why it was so autumn. It's Robin Williams talking about. Uh, meeting his wife for the very first time where she comes into the bar the night that he had tickets to go see the red sox in the world series so again the world series very fall you know fall classic all this jazz and it was the one where uh pudge hits the home run in extra innings 12th inning and how the the, you know everyone in the boston in uh in fenway were like willing the ball over the 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 thing and will and will hunting's getting so excited and he's you know getting into the story and then he says to robin williams i can't believe that you were at that game and he goes no i wasn't at that game i was sitting in the bar having a drink with the woman i was eventually going to marry and he's like well you didn't go to the world series game for that bar and he says no i i knew when the minute i saw this this woman that like i was not going to go and and he goes what did you how what kind of friends do you have that they let you you know, stay and not go to the World Series. And he said, uh, I simply just slid my ticket across the bar and said, uh, I have to go see about a girl, you know? And it's it's one of those amazing examples. And it blows my mind the that- stole my line. That uh, Affleck and Damon could have the maturity to write, because the best parts of Goodwill Hunting are when Robin Williams is speaking from the, the perspective of having so much life experience. Yeah. Uh, and he's, he's saying to this kid, it's not your fault, but you just haven't lived life kind of thing, you know? And so to, to him, to a kid that age, he, of course he'd want to be at the baseball game. Like he would, he, he couldn't process not seeing a baseball game. And Robin Williams is like, cause you've never been in a situation where you've seen this girl come in and just completely knock you on your ass. And you're going to say like, I don't care what else is going on tonight, but I'm going to sit there and watch this. So all of the great Goodwill hunting stuff that gets wrapped together. Um, it was that world series, uh, scene where I was like, God damn, this movie is amazing. Uh, the screenplay is incredible. What is the rumor that the, those two didn't fully write it? Isn't there? That was, yeah. I mean, there was always that, that room, you know, that's, yeah. that's in, in the same way that there's like the rumor that Marissa Tomei didn't actually win the Oscar. Like that. There's always going to be those kind of rumors. Oh really? They say that yeah. they, her name wasn't written on the envelope for my the cousin. Jack, yeah. The Jack Palance got it wrong. 
That's pretty funny. I don't think wow, I've actually and, never heard that before. I, well, now, I mean, now, that. I mean, that was a rumor for a long time. Now we know that to not be the case because we've seen what happens when someone reads well, the and, wrong. And they name. haven't they always given the person their yeah. Envelope? They always give the envelope. Yeah, it's it, but it's yeah, just a, it, it's just an old urban legend. Yeah, that, you gotcha. Know. Did you hear the story about Robin Williams getting Matt Damon the Private Ryan? Yeah, um, I love that story. That was no, a really cool story. What, yeah. What's that story? While they were shooting uh, in Boston. Spielberg was in Boston shooting Amistad at the same time that they were shooting Goodwill Hunting. And mm. Matt Damon had sent a tape in to Spielberg uh, for Private Ryan. But he was shooting, he had had dropped a ton of weight for Courage Under Fire, the Meg mm. Ryan Denzel Washington movie. So when Spielberg saw his audition tape and how gaunt he was, he was like, no, this isn't the kid, essentially. Um, and then... Robin Williams brought him around to the Amistad set, brought him and Affleck around. They're like, he's like, hey, do you want to go meet Steven kind of thing? And they were like, of course, why wouldn't you meet Steven? And then when Matt Damon met Steven Spielberg, he's like, oh, I sent you a tape for uh, Private Ryan. And Spielberg's like, oh, you're the kid. Like, he goes, you you look so much more filled in now. And he's like, yeah, that's what I'm like. But I had to drop all this weight for the thing. And then Spielberg goes, oh, well, now you look exactly like what I'm thinking of. And then cast him as Private Ryan uh, like on in the moment. Just because wow. Robin Williams brought him by the set of Amistad, which is insane. Hollywood's you crazy. shouldn't be allowed to tell that story without having seen Hook. Yeah, that's probably fair. Hook, Hook is Hook awesome. God, which one Hook should is... I see first? Hook or... Um, Dead Poet Society. Dead Poet Society. Then watch You Hook. should watch them both. It's a double, great double yeah, feature. But, no, but, but, but dude, yeah, actually, my, actually is a great Robin good Williams double feature. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. All right, I, 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 I was telling someone the other day, I know, I know we've talked about Robin Williams on the show before, but... In all of my years as interviews, and I know Jake would probably agree, he was such a special person. Like, mm. like he was exactly who you wanted him to be. He was on all the time, and a lot of comedians aren't. Um, and I truly think like he should have won an Oscar for Mrs. Doubtfire. He should have won an Oscar for like he just one of the greatest actors of all time. And like, do you think? That, I think his two best performances come down to either Goodwill Hunting or Doubtfire. You I think, think that's Doubtfire true? is his best performance. I really do. And, I, and I'll tell you why. Birdcage is great, I, though, too. Oh, Birdcage is good, too. Birdcage. But I think Mrs. Doubtfire... So Mrs. Doubtfire, um, unfortunately, falls into the comedy category, even mm. though it's, it's, it's a really heavy drama about divorce and, 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 and separation and kids and everything. Um, but Mrs. Doubtfire, it, it's like... It's kind of like played... It's slapsticky. Where, uh, right. But that film... The undercurrent of that movie, the under, th it is so deeply moving and brilliant. Like the way he, the, you actually believe that Robin Williams would do anything for those kids. You know, we're and, on a crazy tangent. You're talking about like the the comedy of it being, uh, sort of lowers it, quote unquote, in like typically yeah. in the eyes of like like in the uh, in the Oscars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I would say similarly. His voice as the genie is fantastic. Oh, too. oh my god! Yeah, yeah. like <laughs> like deserve an Oscar. Yeah, deserve an Oscar nomination. Yeah, yeah, and I completely agree with you. And like, and again, it's it's an so like so it's funny you mentioned that because that goes back to the Andy Circus thing I mentioned earlier. Like Andy Circus is under this technology, so people don't know like how it's working, and he's delivering this masterful performance as Caesar in Planet of the Apes. But then you have uh, Robin Williams who you don't see on screen delivering a masterful performance as well. So just, just absolutely incredible. Incredible. Kev, what's your autumn blend pick? 
So my autumn blend pick is going to, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to show it because the, the cover is, is, is really all I need to say about it. Oh yeah, that's perfect. Yes. So perfect. When Harry met Sally, yep. the, 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 the poster alone is, is, is autumn to me. So yes. Lauren and I, Lauren and I are very big fall people. Um, we have a very specific thing we do in our house with certain candles. We watch certain films during the, 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 the an autumn, obviously Halloween and films like that. But when Harry met Sally is like my ultimate, it's just, I just love that film. I love the way it makes me feel. I love watching it in the fall. Um, and you guys know the Billy Crystal story, I think about, about our, our marriage and he yep. predicted our marriage. So, which was really, really cool. So, um, but yeah. So when Harry met Sally, that's going to be my ultimate number one autumn pick for sure. That's great. Um, audience picks. Randy Buss said Ghostbusters. I think that's a pretty good pick, actually. The original yeah. Ghostbusters. That's an autumn film. Uh, Paul Marsh said The Craft. Rachel Ho went with When Harry Met Sally. Chipper Beale said Paranorman. Uh, that's a pretty good pick. Hold on. I think there's Love some more. Love Paranorman. Craft Paran is a good pick, by the way. By the I way. thought I you were going to do Nightmare Before Christmas, Kev. So, Nightmare Before Christmas I movie. was. No, see, it's, to me, it's a Halloween film, but... It's interesting. Nightmare Before Christmas is specifically a Halloween film for me. Like yeah. autumn is almost different for me. Like it's like this is autumn, like for me. And, okay. and I think like That's I fair. think uh, Nightmare is more like Halloween. That's a. I know they're both autumn. It just feels different. That's all. Oh, Megs said uh, Monster House, which is a terrific animated oh. film. Great movie. Keenan. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yes. Gil Keenan, who uh, who wrote and directed Monster House, also wrote uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife for people oh, cool. who want to get excited about Ghostbusters yep. Afterlife. Uh, Danny Gurch says, You've Got Mail was the first thing that came to mind. And then mm. Rachel also added uh, a ghost story. Kev, you just saw a ghost story. Is that an autumn film? Oh, let me tell you right now. <laughs> <laughs> that film. Yeah destroyed me wait yeah. who who on here has seen it i have i, I saw have. it when it when it came out i have gabe, I didn't, you have not i, I didn't, didn't care didn't for it. it i didn't care for gabe, it. gabe gabe it's 90 minutes i know mm. i'll watch it i'll watch it I, no 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 and i i need you to watch it 35 it of them are rooney mara sitting on the floor eating a pie don't listen to this <laughs> what do you mean <laughs> that sounds amazing it is, it is that's like the best part <laughs> the, the best way i can describe a ghost story is if you took the Matthew McConaughey scene in Interstellar where he watches the footage of his kids growing up mm. and you made an hour and a half long film of that scene, yep. that's what Ghost Story is like to me. It's pretty accurate. That's how brutal and interesting and emotional. Is McConaughey like, in the walls like throughout the whole thing? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, 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 yeah. He's like, he's, like, he, he's the dust in the house and he's like Morse code. Books like, keep falling off. Yeah, yeah. He, like, he's the, to the pie. He's like putting Morse code. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Murph. All right. For next week, you can reach out on Twitter uh, and play in our interactive blend game. We are playing hashtag james bond blend the entire oh. james bond series you will tell Easy. us your favorite james bond film not just the craig Easy. era because we might do the craig era for something different where we like to play a special game the entire james bond series so let us know your pick via social media using hashtag james bond blend or you can go to real blend at cinemablend.com which is where you can also leave us a review and this week's review comes from thomas 9133 very short, very sweet, to the point. Uh, says, big fan of BDK on Sports Junkies. 
Always looking forward to his segment on Fridays. So there you go, Kev. Hey, oh. bring us some bring us some listeners over from the the sports junkies. Shout out well, to those funny, guys yeah. too for having an amazing show. Yeah, so so uh, for anybody who doesn't live in the DC area, that's how I got my start. The junkies were was a radio show. I was interning at a radio station, filing paperwork, and I walked by the show one day and I said to the uh, the host, "Hey, would you want a movie reviewer on your show?" They brought me on to make fun of my OCD, my obsessive compulsive disorder. But I had seen a film that I could review, which was just Friends, because there was a, a, a word of mouth screening at my college. So I actually had a movie to review. So I do this segment. They make fun of me for my OCD in, in a loving way. It's just fun. Do they still? Is that still their bit? It's yeah. It's I mean, I've been on the show since 2005. 2005 yeah. So it's like I, I'm I, like, I was like the the, the shtick, like the, the bit kid. And, but but I parlayed it into like, hey, I have an outlet. Get, get me on a press list. So I go on the show that day and I review just friends and then they make fun of my OCD and then they go, okay, callers call in. We'll take nine calls. You tell us if we should keep this kid as our movie reviewer or not. Five to four. And it was, it was in my favor. Wow. That's the, that's literally the entire reason I'm probably sitting here right now with you guys because I, 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 I can't, I mean, and I, I want to give, I, I know this is tangent. This has been a tangent episode, but I get a, a shout out to a friend of mine. So I wasn't on any press lists. So I was like, Hey guys, I want to be your movie reviewer. But I was like, I, how can I see new movies before they come out? If I don't have a, access to it, my buddy, Dan worked at a movie theater. This is back when film projectors were still in, were still in use. So if you guys know this film projector, uh, film projectionists would have to stay Thursday like night. Four, four, yeah, Thursday night to like four in the morning mm-hmm. and watch every print to make sure it was okay for the next day. Yep. So I would drive out to Woodbridge from like wherever I was in Fairfax on Thursdays and I would watch all two or three films that came out that week. Yep. I would get out at like 5 a.m. and call into the show at six or seven and review them. That's, that's what I did. That's um, I, see, I, I so, love that story, but I just think like there there would be so many studios it would be furious if they knew <laughs> well but yeah this is but this was this is 2005 sure and like, before he could and, tweet anything out kind of yeah, thing. yeah. there was yeah. like yes. there was you know i you know so basically but that was that's how it was that's how i had to get my um that's how i had to get get going and like yeah. so the the review i want to say thank you because that's the show that gave me my start and i've mentioned our show on their show and I try to do it as frequently as possible in terms of like big guests that we get. So it's cool that people are coming over because um, awesome. they, have, they have, they have a really loyal audience and they survived the Howard Stern uh, leave. Like there was mm-hmm. all the, the, like Howard Stern, when Howard Stern left mornings, like morning radio was like, it was nowhere. And the junkies moved to morning radio and survived. I yep. mean, Sean, you know radio pretty well. Remember, remember David Lee Roth ended up getting a show at one point? Oh, God, And, yes. like, Opie and Anthony and all those shows. Looking for Howard replacements. St- yeah, the yeah. junks are still going. And uh, so that's cool. Oh, so anyways, while we're on that yeah. tangent, because that's a good tangent, yeah. um, PJ turned me on to a really great sports podcast called Pardon My Take. It's two guys oh, from Barstool Sports. Yeah. God damn, they're really funny. They're really funny. <laughs> and then also one thing I watched last night I'm an old head, obviously, and so I love Pardon the Interruption, the two guys from the Washington Post. Um, there's an hour-long documentary uh, on ESPN Films about the making of Pardon the Interruption and how oh, far back cool. it goes. Is it yeah, a 30 for 30? 
Um, I don't know if it's a 30 for 30. I think it just said like ESPN films presents and oh, it was, nice. um, like the origin of that story. And I watched it last night and it was That's awesome. ter- terrific. They did great work over there. Man. Oh, I loved great it. Work. So good. Um, okay. Anyway, back to movies, uh, drop us a review of the show, uh, drop it on Apple podcasts because that helps us. And then more importantly, as Gabe would like me to remind you guys, uh, tell a friend about the show. Keep the conversations going on social media. That's how people find out about us. We've been able to generate some real interest around the interviews that we've been posting. Hopefully Andy Circus will continue to keep that buzz going. And we have a few very exciting if it happens is uh, in in the hopper. In the hopper, as we call it. So in the uh, Dennis Hopper. The next Chief premium hopper. episode is going to be a two-film challenge where we uh, pick a person and then tell you the the two uh, projects that best represent them. Uh if you were going to essentially say like the aliens landed and said, tell us everything we need to know about Leia Sadu. And we would pick two James Bond movies probably actually. No, no, you'd have to pick, uh, Blue is the warmest Blue color. Is the warmest yeah. You have, yeah, have to pick yeah. that one. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, you can access the premium episodes by going to cinemablend.com backslash real blend premium. And we have plenty of details there. Uh, oh, someone direct messaged me the other day and asked me like, how do I get the premium episodes? I told them and then they check the link them. in the description. I'm going to be completely honest. I don't know. You get them though, don't you? Don't we? Didn't we automatically like hook you up for it? I mean, I I, I sent you guys links, but you have to click the links. Oh, they don't do that. that. Look, that's asking a lot. They don't do that. <laughs> I know from experience that they don't do that all the time. I've tried but to send you them a want few things me? as well too. <laughs> uh, follow us on social media at Jake's Takes, at Kevin McCarthy TV, at Sean underscore O'Connell, at Gabe Kovach, and the show is at Real Blend. We'll be back next week. Uh, with some more exciting guests and plenty of topics to speak of. And until then, oh, God. What Minority oh, Report. Uh, the Adventures of Tintin. Lost World. <laughs> War Horse. <laughs> Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.